On this episode, we discuss Waterworld. Inspired by the animated series Pirates of Dark Water. <laughs> Not really, but I just want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Ellie Kalin. Later on, I'll tell you about Flop TV, our monthly flop online broadcasting internet series. But first, uh-huh. guys, we've got a, uh, a special guest with us on this episode today. Who is it? Are you, Who? Are you ready for an introduction? Yeah, yes. sure. Introduce okay. me, please. I'll do it. To uh, the guest. This is uh, someone we should have had a long time ago, a real luminary uh, in the world of movie production and movie effects. That's right visual effects artist and supervisor, Todd Vaziri. He's worked on all your favorite movies, Soldier, the 1999 A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Stir of Echoes, all your favorite films. Stir of Echoes. <laughs> you know? love, uh, and, and also- like Stir of Echoes quite a lot. And he spent, he spent the past, what, Todd, like 20 years working on, it seems like every single major yeah. motion picture that gets released. Yeah, uh, you named a few of them, yeah. yeah that's really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Now, what would real be highlight if reel, you were, yeah. if you were going to give a highlight reel, Todd? What what would you? Uh, well, pick? he ne- he neglected you know Bones and Driven and the two thousand uh, Dungeons and Dragons. You know, there's a few you could you could keep scraping. I was going to mention Bones, but it's true. Todd has has mentioned us. He is the one of only two effects artists to have worked on both Dungeons and Dragons movies. Whoa! But you had, you had much more of a hand in the most recent one. You were you were very much in charge for that. That's one, right. right. The re- the reason the the first one wasn't that great it had nothing to do with me, and the reason why this one was good had almost everything to do with me. No, everything, no, no. <laughs> yes. Also, I will brook no dismissal of Bones, which I saw <laughs> recently and thought was pretty fun. I like that it's, movie. It's kind of wild. I mean, you, you go in with the right expectations. Bones is fine. Yeah. <laughs> so in the original Dungeons and Dragons, you did all the animation for the Beholders, right? What? Okay, I, I'm gonna tell you that I know what a Beholder is. I don't. I don't know what a Beholder is. I. I that's the thing. I, I knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons going into that movie, and I know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons going into this movie. So I did. The, the, there's a big end battle at the end. The mages make like fireballs, and they throw fireballs, uh-huh. and I was just uh-huh. making up stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I'm gonna make these ma- the fireball appear, and then they throw it. I was just making up stuff, and I remember reading some of the comments from fans from that original 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie and saying, mm-hmm. whoever whoever did those mages fireballs, they totally get Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, hey, I, I sure, <laughs> I was just making stuff up. So That's great. Sure. So let's pull out our player's handbook and uh, make some characters so I can introduce <laughs> you to the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, no, this is all Stuart's going to be thinking about for the whole rest of the episode. <laughs> well, uh, Todd, thanks so much for coming. We've, we've, uh, we've talked about uh, some movies Movies you've worked on, uh, but we have never gone after the effects uh, because they always look great, even when the let's say story uh, supporting those effects is not up to snuff. But we apologize for the movies that we have uh, talked about of yours D- in the past. Don't because you know you guys, you know I've been a big fan. I, you know if I, if I may for have an opening statement for a second, it's such an honor <laughs> sure. to be uh, here. Yeah. I'll yield some I, of my time to you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Unprecedented. Uh, I, 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 I just it's such an honor to be here, and you know you you hear uh, oh, one of your your favorite podcasts is a 
uh, a show where, you know, three guys make fun of a movie, how, how bad it is. And it's like, that sounds kind of gross, uh, uh, you know, on the surface, but you guys love movies and there's, there, it's, it's all out of love and it's, it's, it's not cruel. And if anybody understands that it's a team effort, that there's a lot of people involved and any number of things could go wrong at any point, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's all out of love for, for movies. And, um, just, I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. So I never take that kind of stuff personally. I'm at glad all. that I'm glad you that. say that because this is the number one thing I struggle with, with the premise of our show is <laughs> like, right. as I grow older, I'm like, I don't know. Why do we have to be mean to anything? I mean, I don't think we are, but like, you're even, not even the appearance Dan's even of the least of mean cruelty. out of all of us. Yeah, and Dan's the one who's always like, this movie's okay. And, but yeah. I think all each of us goes into watching these movies secretly hoping that we're going to be like, this was good. We liked this yeah, one. And right. it's, a, it's a disappointment when they're not. So the premise of the show is that we watch a bad movie and we talk about it. Today, we're going to watch a movie that, Todd, you specifically asked for. You requested this film. And that film is? Waterworld. That's right, Waterworld. The movie that very briefly put Kevin Costner's career quite off track. I guess the postman was like <laughs> Waterworld, but with the mail was the one yeah, that really put him yeah. off track. Yeah, those together. Yeah, for a little it, was, bit. it was a winding road for him to get all the way to Jellystone so he could rehabilitate <laughs> that image. Oh, it's the movie that was asked Jellystone you. and he was the park ranger and he's like, got to take down those bears. <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> it's a movie that asks you, what if the world but waterier? And you're like, well, the, movie, mm-hmm. the world's pretty watery as it is. It's like, no, no, you have no idea. No, no, real watery. Like, just <laughs> super wet. Just so yeah. moist. Yeah. Just, uh, just dripping. Uh, so, uh, so, Todd, what, what is yeah, it about the water world? The world owes you. <laughs> 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 the this world is pretty runny. Where's the world of is the funny. earth? <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. Todd, what was it about Waterworld that you wanted to talk about today? Well, I, I kind of figured maybe something with a visual effects uh, slant to it because I, I think it's actually a very it's an, an it takes place in production at an interesting time for visual effects when we were moving away from uh, purely optical uh, effects and optical compositing and getting into the digital world where this is a couple years after uh, Jurassic Park. And this is its contemporaries are uh, movies like uh, Twister and uh, let's see, 1996, uh, Independence Day, things like that. So we're we're sl- we're we're slowly getting into the digital world where simple digital effects were still not so simple. So it's it's kind of like a bridge between two worlds. I thought that would be an interesting way to look at it. I mean, when you when when folks talk about the the in, most infamous flops of all time, uh, Waterworld's usually in the discussion, and what we can get into the definition of what the flop means in this particular case. Uh, so and and I also I remember seeing it and going. Uh, okay. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, I, I'm a big mm-hmm. Kevin Costner fan and I, I yeah. sort of, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't come out of it going, what a stinker. But it this, had its problems. This was infamous. I mean, it was, what was Fishtar was one of them? And was it Kevin's Gate? Was this as well? Well, or and was I that, think that, that was, yeah, they called this Kevin's Gate and Fishtar. Because he killed a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, a bunch of people, he will convince them to commit suicide so they yeah. can ride the water world. Uh which he said was going to be a roller coaster at, at Universal Studios. It turned out to be a stunt show. So you couldn't really ride it. But Can we uh, talk yeah. about the stunt show? <laughs> no, we'll talk about the stunt show, which I never got to see and I regret it. Oh, I've heard nothing but great things about it. But uh, and the but it, it definitely was one of those movies like Ishtar and like Heaven's Gate where the discussion about it became so much about how much it cost that 
the actual quality of the film, whether it was good or not, was like already at a deficit. Because there's something about movie critics, especially in the past, I feel like now movies are so routinely expensive that it's not as big a thing. But back then, if a movie cost a lot of money, movie critics did not like that. It made them very mad ahead of time. And they hated the idea that- It dominated the discussion, pre-release. It's every article, every, you know, this is back then. So Premier Magazine and Entertainment Weekly, that's like, it costs this much money. It costs overruns, scheduling overruns. It's like, that's that's now what the movie, it, what defines the movie. Yeah. And so it's also scrutiny. weird that like they cared so much because they they would act as if it was some sort of like moral failing or like there was some, right. some yes. like hazard associated with it when it's like, well, if it, if the studio loses money, then that's on them. You know, like, that's fine. They are risking it. You know, and in the meantime, this movie is employing people. You know, it's like, what What are you mad about per se, like in, in, in real terms, I, you know? I've never understood this like, oh, I can't believe that movie costs this much money. And it's like, well, unless you're a shareholder, I mean, who cares? Yeah. If you if you like watching movies, you know, the the – the last thing on your mind is what's the price tag of this movie? If I was a if I was a conspiratorial type of person, which I was as a teenager when Waterworld came out, but I'm not now, I would say that uh, a certain type of corporate media is using the was using the high budgets of movies to direct the anger of people over the frivolous use of wealth mm-hmm. by the wealthy towards. Mm. Hollywood stuff, which is relatively harmless as opposed to the real 1% of things. And I feel like that's the kind of anger. Now it feels like these Marvel movies cost a lot of money, but like, I don't know, that dude has $100 billion and is trying to colonize another planet so that he can have like brain slaves. That seems worse. I feel like there's a greater understanding now of what's a what's a truly immoral use of well, money. Well, I know? mean, also for whatever reason, like success justifies itself where it's like, you know, like the Marvel movies, like they make back a tremendous amount of money too. So, like, no one's like, "What? Well, what a waste!" You know, it's like, "Yay!" You know, return on investment. You know, it's 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 a weird sort of place where, as long as the capitalism works correctly, like people are like, "Okay," but if I someone spends also- a lot of money on a flop, it's like anger rather yeah. than just like, "Well, that's what happens." This is also, I think, I think uh, Kevin Costner was due for. The period in every American star's life when they reach a height of success and people want to take them down. I think he uh, – it was a little – this is like kind of still the hangover from Dances with Wolves right. where he won Best Director, which is bonkers, which is objectively bonkers. I know, and, yeah. like, and so I think people were ready for him to fail at this. I think a lot of people thought he was directing this movie because the director's well, name is also Kevin, which he was not. And you know? also the, the director – at some point, there was there's a rumor that your director was ousted and Kevin Costner finished the film. Yeah, if you I read behind the scenes, like it seems like whether or not he actually directed any of it, he was taking an extremely heavy producer's hand in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, the the knives was, were being sharpened for him. I mean, it was yeah, celebrity culture, you know, royal culture. They 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 love their stars, and then they also love to tear them down. And after. You know, uh, Dance with Wolves, big hit, Oscar winning, and um, Robin Hood. Was Prince, Prince of, Thieves of Thieves before this? Right? Yeah. It was right before this because that was like 91, right, or 92? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the pre before that was Untouchables. I mean, you know, Bull Durham I think was before this. So he's yeah. riding high. And then, you know, big budget fiasco, shooting on water, cost overruns, uh, the hurricanes destroying the set. I mean – 
That's yeah, and I'm glad we're talking about this before we talk about the movie because this is all the pre-release mumbo jumbo yeah. that yeah. was yeah. dominated. Everyone, everyone heard ahead of time this is a disaster before the movie had come right. out yet. And let's just say it: Gene Triplehorn has made a lot of powerful enemies. There are a lot of people with their knives out for Gene Triplehorn, ready to take her down too. She has so. three horns. How <laughs> mm-hmm. dare she have three? There, there's so many more Americans with zero horns. Exactly. Yeah. Just may horns. wish I had three hands. Grab <laughs> <laughs> each of the horns. It's it's uh, well, it's like they say: grab the gene by the triple horns. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you did you guys see this movie in the? I remember seeing it in the theater and being yes. like, "No, that was good." I don't know what yeah. people were complaining about. I saw it in the theater and I was like, "That was a fun action science fiction movie." I mean. Even at that time, I had an idea in my head that it was kind, that it was kind of Mad Maxy, and then yeah. I I, I kind of got into really got into the Mad Max movies, and I was like, oh yeah, Waterworld is is very Mad Maxy. But I remember watching it, yeah, when it was in the theaters and being like, that was fun. Yeah, I yeah. saw it on HBO when it was new to like premium. I was like, this is fine. Like I I, I do think it either needs to be longer or shorter, but uh, but it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw also saw it in the theaters, and I was like, I, I, you know, I had my problems with this, but some stuff was pretty wacky, and and yeah. some some of it was actually like really good. And then there's some tonal problems, which is probably my biggest problem with the movie. Yeah. Uh, yes. Spoiler alert, but just tone, in inconsistent tone, very, uh, which we'll get into. So, it, uh, but yeah, it's a movie that especially by the end, it's like, oh, this feels like a different. Tonally, this is a different movie than it was when yeah, it started. Yeah, that's but true. Let's, let's talk about it, guys. Now, out of this is, I'm going to tell you about the experiment that I did. Out of curiosity, and because I wanted to kind of compare my experience to yours, I watched the extended cut of the film, which had, which is was recreated using footage that was used in the television release, which is longer mm-hmm. than the original. Because I wanted to get a sense. Because originally this movie was going to be three hours long, and the studio was like, uh, "Kevin Costner's last." movie was three hours long. Like, we're not doing any more of this three-hour Kevin Costner stuff. And so the they cut it way down to two hours and 15 minutes. And I wanted to compare it to your guys' experience of watching the theatrical cut, which is what I assumed you watched, because that's the one that's mm-hmm. more readily available. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's talk through it. Whenever I get to a scene that uh, that isn't uh, in, the, in the theatrical cut, I want you to yell, Kevin, and I'll stop. Uh, okay. You don't have to yell Kevin, but you can. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or just Kevin. go, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I want you to go, Kevin, like you've just forgotten yeah, yeah. Home Alone, home Kevin. when you yeah. went to, on a yeah. holiday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we open with the Universal Logo Globe, which floods. Oh no, the sea levels are rising on the Universal Logo. As a kid, this blew my fucking mind apart. I love it. Anytime a movie plays with the logo of the studio, I love it. As a kid, I loved it. I still love it. Still, you know, I loved it when when Cat Bailey shows up. At the beginning of Cat Bell U, instead of the Columbia logo, I liked it. And Into the Spider Verse, mm-hmm. when Cat Bell U showed up in front of the, instead of the Columbia logo, <laughs> great stuff. I love that animated it's like, Cat uh, Bell U. It's, it's like how for years I would lean over and tell my movie-going companion that the New Line logo is the new one that the Lord of the Rings production uh, fixed for uh, the New mm-hmm. Line Studios. I, I like it when uh, when Dark Phoenix reaches up and cracks the X Men logo on the cover of the book. I like it when you mess with the logos. Anyway, or the Hulk, I, when the Hulk, Hulk is like when the Hulk sma- is like either supporting his logo or smashing it. Yeah, great. I was lucky enough to mess with the the opening titles of the Universal logo for another great film, uh, Van Helsing, uh, where the, the big <laughs> which we did the letters on, on us, yeah the letters come up and then they all get burned up uh, individually. 
and and melt away and it, there's an iris to the first shot and I got to do that that was cool. that was a lot of fun they they didn't even provide me with a clean version of the universal logo it still had like a comcast company or an mca logo so <laughs> i had to paint, i had to paint that out of the thing so i was like yeah great but yeah, I'm, in, I'm a sucker for the you know custom studio logo. I stuff. feel like it shows you that they're doing something special with the movie. You know, they're going yeah. a little bit beyond. Did you? Yeah, like did Van you work Helsing. on like Van Helsing? Did you work on the <laughs> Dark Universe logo from uh, the Mummy, where it says no. Universal and then it spins around and says Dark Universe? Because I think they, they expected to get more use out of that logo than they got. Yeah. <laughs> One wait, they, <laughs> wait, they were only they were expecting to make more than just what two movies? Uh, I mean, they only really made the I one mean, of them too. Yeah, what do you and need Dracula more out of the universe Untold or whatever? Dracula Untold was kind of sh- was was going to be it, and then they kind of like they were like, uh, that wasn't <laughs> that was the a real, soft opening, the real dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're just trying to think. Universe, out. Yeah. Yeah. that was that's the uh, that's the uh, uh, friends and family Hulk of the dark universe of, of yeah. the of the dark universe. You know what, guys? Friends and family. <laughs> Our universe is dark enough as it is. We don't need an extra <laughs> oh, dark man. universe. Yeah, have you seen the news? Yeah. Topical. We need all the light we cannot see. Anyway, uh, there's a voiceover that tells us the ice caps have flooded in the future. Those who survive have adapted to a new world. How do they adapt? Well, we see as on an ocean-going catamaran, a lone sailor pees in a cup, pours it into a filter, and then drinks the water that comes out. That's how they've adapted. They drink their own pee in the That's future. That's our hero. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to derail you right off the bat. Okay, so the narration. Now, yeah. There was no telling of a prophecy, no on-screen you know, titles or story yeah. or anything like that, but a narration that they don't do anywhere else in the movie. Yes. Uh, I, I, I actually wonder, I don't think it was required. I think it would have been a lot more mysterious if they just kind of, this is how they started the movie. Not like they're going to do a bait and switch, like a spoiler alert, Planet of the Apes, kind of a thing but just like it could have been a little bit more mysterious uh but they just wanted to say the future yes. polar ice caps melted i just you know if you just take out that narration i i wonder how the the film would have been perceived a little bit differently just like um my favorite one to think about is predator uh the opening shot of the spaceship you know launching uh, lifting uh, sending something on earth if that shot mm-hmm. wasn't in the movie how different the movie would have been yeah. uh, if you didn't know anything about the marketing going into it. Yeah. How it would have You're pers- like, whoa, does this guy just live here? <laughs> <laughs> is he natural to this earth? Well, but that is the kind of question that, that you get from studios all the time. I imagine right. this, they're like, how are people going to know this takes place in the future and not like on some alien planet? It's like, well, they'll watch the movie and they'll see there's copies of National Geographic hanging around. Right, yeah. yeah. But they, and like, spoiler alert, later on, one of the big reveals is that the polar ice caps melted and people live on water and that yes. all the cities are, are flooded. Are underwater. Like that's a huge emotional reveal for one of the characters. Right. So it's weird that we, the audience, are like, yeah, we fucking know that, dude. I mean, <laughs> that I don't want That guy at the beginning told me. Yeah, the told guy me. told us. <laughs> like, I don't usually like to make assumptions, but it is one of those things where I'm like, this probably was added. Like, you know. Like oh, the, for it, certain. I doubt the screenplay had that. Yeah. My guess is that they just didn't want anyone confused right off the bat, that they had either had a test audience or were worried about a test audience that people would not would be worry, wondering what's going on rather than following the story. This one doesn't bother me that much because it's so quick. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't give you a lot of information. It's tidy. It's very tidy, but it is unnecessary. So anyway, the Mariner drinks his own pee. He's kind of a surly loner. This is our hero, Kevin Costner. I think the only <laughs> movie in his filmography where he drinks his own pee. And he has a confrontation with another <laughs> loner. Who, I'll look an, it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just do. Can you do a Google search for Kevin Costner drink pee and just <laughs> tell me what comes up? Uh, Tin cup. 
What do you think was in the cup? <laughs> good, yeah, good point. It's, it's that's why he's like, I need a new tin cup. My the uric acid is eaten away at the bottom of my tin cup. Yeah. Uh, so he has a confrontation with a another lone sailor who steals the mariner's limes. But oh, it's okay. Cosmic justice. They're both ambushed by smokers who are essentially pirates. Uh, and Costner, they're not. They don't really smoke, but they're, I guess they do smoke at different points. They do they, smoke mm-hmm. cigarettes all the time. They do smoke cigarettes a lot, but the uh, but they're essentially pirates. Uh, it's funny that the thing that they're called is about the fact that they smoke cigarettes, which they do, and Dennis Hopper's character throws them out as reward stuff, and not the fact that they're pirates. But anyway, uh, Kevin. And this Costner's- is the first uh, we like. This is the first example of. Kevin Costner's Mariner being a hard man in this hard world because, yes. like, he just races away. He's like, you know, you got what you deserve for stealing my limes, getting yeah. killed, you know, and he'll do yeah, he has, he has some surprisingly these- cruel things in this movie. It's a, it's a brutal opening. With the, yeah. you know, First, you see him drinking his pee. You, you see him all alone, <laughs> no dialogue. I I actually really love that stuff. You're just kind of figuring out what's on his boat, what's on— And then mm-hmm. the, he meets that guy, and he, he just basically signs that guy's death warrant. Yes. Um, uh, he he gets him killed, and he barely even looks back. He's like, "Uh huh." And I'm like, I, "I'm like raring to go." I'm like, "This is pretty yeah. good." I mean, we're, the elephant in the room in this whole thing is, you know, Mad Max, the Road Warrior. Uh, sorry, Ozzy, yes. I, I know of it as the Road Warrior. I know it's really called Mad mm-hmm. Max too, uh, but I'm just going to have to say the Road Warrior a million times. And who is a, you know, the 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 titular Mad Maximus um, is a <laughs> brutal guy who learns, you know, seeks and finds his humanity. And I'm I'm like, okay, this is a Mad Max ripoff. Sure, on the water, go for it. And it's a yeah. pretty solid start. I think it is. I mean, yeah. it's a it's even even going farther back than Mad Max. This is a classic Western trope: the the, the yeah. bad man or the hard man who learns how to love. And, but the 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 aesthetic of this is so. Mad Max on the water in a way that is hard to yeah right it, it, down to like occasionally a little bit of like the kooky character you know like yeah the, like exactly like the guy there, with but, the big glasses or whatever you know but of all the many and, mad, mad well it literally there's a guy who there's a guy who's firing a machine gun who just gets super into it and crazy and is firing all over the place and he's got like a mask that looks like a pig's nose and it's like yeah, yeah this is like this is straight out of George Miller but of all the Mad Max ripoffs this is the one that does it the best I think Stuart what were we gonna say sorry I cut you off. I was going to say that also, like, with this opening, we get to we get a hint of the, like, workings of his ship, a thing that, like, as a kid, I was, like, fascinated by. This, like, incredible cross-sections, like, yeah. how does this fucking, how does this guy's cool life work with all these gizmos and gadgets and crap? There's all this pulleys and, and steampunk stuff and stuff. But anyway, it. It, he does, he, he wrecks the other guy's ship, leaves him to be killed by the smokers, truly, as the Mariner has said. Nothing's free on Waterworld. I think it is kind of dumb that they call it Waterworld. But anyway, the Mariner, he stops at this artificial atoll town. It's kind of like a little fortress. And he's let mm-hmm. in because he has a jar of ultra-valuable dirt to sell them. <laughs> and he, he exchanges it for chits that he can use to buy hydro, which is what they call water. Even though they call it Waterworld, water is no longer <laughs> yeah. the word used for water, which is interesting. They don't say hydro world. Uh, I, I want to yeah. say, even though uh, this, you know, this trip will eventually go bad for the Mariner, I was <laughs> sort of surprised by how much society still seemed to be functioning because, like, this guy arrives with a bunch of dirt and they don't immediately just kill him for all that dirt that they want. You know, like, there's an exchange of, 
well, it's dirt very for much, shits and no it's, one's it's, like robbing him, you know. It's very much the town in the Road Warrior where the good people live, you know, yeah. like this, where there's there's still some people who want a real society. And they yeah. in the ext- and in the uh, extended version, there's a lot of talk about that. Like you see mm. much, you see more of this town, and mm. you see the people kind of running it a little bit more. But anyway, we'll get to that. He buys it from Helen. Jean Triplehorn, who's a kind of tough shopkeeper who takes care of Enola, a little girl who has a strange tattoo on her back that is clearly a map, but everyone is like, we can't, we don't understand it. We don't know how to read this thing. It kind of looks like, uh, it kind of looks like Yosemite Sam saying back off, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. She has a tattoo on her back of Calvin peeing on ground. It's a a prophecy that says, you will grow up to be Mac on Veronica Mars. Yeah, that's what the that's what it says. Uh, oh and, shit! Really? <laughs> yeah, that's her. Tina and awesome. In the extended version of this, there's just more conversation. He talks to Helen Moore. That there's a guy there who we'll find out later is the henchman of the of the villain, and they have a longer conversation. But anyway, the mariner he wants. This to is, leave. is this the this is the scene where he he's walking around and oh he's 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 got his ski boots on that he that he. Um, Salvage yep. from the bottom of the yes. ocean, which is yeah. if anybody's put on ski boots, it's like I don't know. I'd ra- kind of rather go barefoot. I'm not going to want to walk around on ski boots. <laughs> well, he's got to hide his feet, as we find. There's also, I mean, this right. the thing with like um, the Golden that Age Sandman. That sounds like a thing a Muto would not uh, would do. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Golden but, Age Sandman who has a gas mask for a mask. It looks really cool, but it's like those are hard to wear. Like it's hard and, to see and breathe out of those. They're not for good. for every the, the, one of these details that I kind of liked is when he was like he's he's stepping up to the bar to Helen's bar and he kind of stumbles. He, he just. I, I, don't, I never interpreted that as like him with the boots. It's just that he's not used to being on a re- relatively yeah. stationary mm-hmm. he, ground. And he, I love that kind of detail. But then it, it's undercut previously when he's like, hey, I've, uh, I've got dirt. And he holds up the dirt and he pulls out a big giant handful and he, he just lets it go in the wind. I'm like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, and then the very next scene is him bartering and the guy takes a giant handful and eats it. It's like. You can't. That's that. You can't do that. This is valuable <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's inconsistent in some ways. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of like weird. Like, we'll meet Dennis Hopper, who's constantly smoking cigarettes. I'm like, where are you getting all these cigarettes? <laughs> yeah, and and in the extended extended version, he like he's obsessed with golf and he's watching golf videos on t- on a TV that he has mm-hmm. rigged up. And it's like I don't know. It, it the movie also makes it clear this is hundreds of years after civilization yeah. mm-hmm. has fallen apart. Like nobody remembers the old civilization. None uh-huh. of this technology should should work at, anymore at all, you know. But anyway, but it's it's a movie. What are you going to do? It's a movie about a fish man because as we find uh, out, the uh, town elders are like, hey, before you leave, can you impregnate a local so we can add to our genetic stock? And then they notice he has gills. He's a muto. And they try to lynch him, but the sheriff of the atoll who thinks he's the hero of the movie, but the movie <laughs> is going to ignore him for vast Vast swaths of it. They lock him up. They lock up. He, Sheriff locks up uh, Kevin Costner in a cage. And now here's a scene. I don't know if you guys saw where the townspeople are debating what to do with him and whether to kill him or not. And they found all these devices on his ship that they assume are weapons. And it's like a yo-yo and like a thigh master. And they're like, these are clearly torture devices. Like, and it's a, kind of a, a dumb joke about how they misunderstand what these these artifacts are. It's great. And uh, Helen comes in. She says. Our way of life is are dying. There used to be all these other atolls. We don't hear from them anymore. What's going on? We have fewer supplies. So and a theme in this one that I think is not quite there in the theatrical is that mankind is doing the same thing over again. Mm. It's it's an, a new a new civilization that's still based on overconsumption and still not based on sustainability. And so it's entered this cycle of – and it's something that the deacon complains about later as I'll talk about. Hmm. Like they've entered the cycle again of destroying their, their world around them. Yeah. And it's an interesting theme that – I feel like is not, even in the extended one, it's not quite 
super gracefully done, but it's an interesting way for them to bring it in. But we don't have time for that because we're getting introduced to maybe the most annoying character in the movie, possibly. Gregor, played by Michael Jeter, who normally I love, is oh. kind of like a kooky, forgetful scientist uh, who's like Helen's surrogate father, you know? Elliot, have think- you ever seen Michael Jeter on stage? I've seen, I- the only thing I've seen of him on stage is the performance he did at the Tonys when he, and when he won for, uh, for Grand Hotel. You know, okay, and yeah. that counts. No, but I, I think my I, affection I, for him—I don't know—I didn't find this guy. I know. I mean, he's basically this is basically like him and the Fisher King, but a little. It is, but, but I maxified. think you're missing a lot of in this version of it. The one I watch, there's a lot of him kind of bumbling around and oh, knocking okay. things over and going, "Oh, but where's this? Oh, but I lost it. Oh," and I'm like, a little of this goes a long way. A little, I, yeah. I had to, I had to look where he was born and where he grew up, and it says uh, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think it's from the same world as Gru from Despicable Me, uh, which is essentially what his accent is in yeah. this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason for yeah. him to have that accent. It doesn't make any sense to me. What like Dennis Hopper has a heavy Southern accent in this. Like they all have different accents. Kevin Costner has this weird accent that comes and goes throughout yeah, the movie, yeah. and he goes Southern every once in a while too. Yes. Yeah, and it's like why. I don't understand why these accents, like that's not how accents work. That like, why are they genetically, you know, inherited accents that Gregor is from, like he's because he's from Eastern European stock, I guess. He has this kind of like Gru accent, but anyway. Um, But Gregor goes and talks to him. Uh, The Mariner, this is when we see the Mariner has webbed feet. Um, they're not like super webbed. I don't know how much they'd actually help you in the water, but they're a <laughs> webby. Like, I've seen better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, on frogs, on, fro- on frogs. Anyway, it's the next morning. Junior. And I, these, these feet, because they, you know, the prosthetics, they tried to, you know, limit the number of times they, that he would have to go through that prosthetic. Um, because, you know, we're working on the water, working on sun, out in the sun. Um, these things looked beautiful once they were applied, apparently. Mm. And the minute Costner stood up, they started to crack and uh, and break apart. So pretty mm. much every shot that you see it in has uh, digital augmentation to make it look uh, less uh, janky. Really, um, which is it yeah. Makes sense. And then and then a lot of the wide shots they just gave up and said, "Don't forget about it. We're not. Yeah, we're not even going to see do him. the yeah. appliance. Yeah, the it's that's interesting because it certainly didn't it didn't look digitally to me. And all and so much of this movie is it's good work. Like, yeah, and so much of the movie feels real is the other thing. Like watching this, it was like, oh yeah, it really feels like they built these sets. Like it really felt like they were in these places. Yeah, yeah you were texting me the whole time. You're like, this is so much better than all this CGI garbage we get these days. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is why practical effects are the best. This is why This is why in Iron Man, when he's walking around in a real practical Todd's costume, face. that's oh, when he's God. the best. It's not CGI. Making Todd mad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Uh, no, I mean the, the 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 story behind the production of like some of the sets uh, were was is quite amazing. It's a it's a like technological uh, an engineering achievement. They had to build. I mean, they basically build giant boats, and that's what the set was. And they tried their best to put it out on the open water, so they would have not not a three hundred and sixty view. They were never in, like in truly open water, but like a two hundred seventy degree angle field of view, so they could see the atoll and then see the horizon and pan and have a lot of freedom to shoot. But what that requires is then they basically made boats and, and, and then, uh, assembled them out on the water. And these were all like, had to be actual maritime, like compliant, uh, uh, pieces of equipment. Um, like whenever they would, 
I mean, everything on the set had to be super light because the buoyancy would get all messed yeah. up. And, and they had all these readings so that every time uh, more people or equipment went on it, they had to change it on the fly. They adjusted the buoyancy of it so that it wouldn't sink. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Can't imagine well, why this movie costs so much. And we, <laughs> yeah. should say, we should say in general, like for maybe those who don't like read as much about this or aren't in the business, like – Shooting on water is notoriously difficult. Like Jaws, like Steven Spielberg, you know, like advised against water Spielberg world because made of Jaws. Jaws. Uh, you know, like there were all these problems with uh, Titanic and and stuff. Well, that you were, think like, it, you you read about the experiences they had during Jaws, which were very difficult, and they're using real boats that look like modern boats at the time. They like the water world is using is making like made up sea cities, you know, and things like that. It's really astounding. Yeah. Like the engineering that went into it must have yeah. been phenomenal. Um, but uh-oh, is the Mariner going to get to enjoy that? Because the next morning, the townspeople have sentenced him to immediate execution by being lowered into a pool of algae or something that's going to recycle him into his yeah, component parts. Seems confusing. like a mistake if he's a muto. <laughs> yeah, but they're stopped by an attack from the smokers led by their king, Deacon, played by Dennis Hopper, and there's a big battle. There's lots of cool stunts in this. This is a very Aqua Mad Max, where instead of cars, it's jet skis and boats. Um, this is basically the Waterworld stunt show. You can see Universal Studios. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of the, even some of the story beats are the same. Like, they mash it up a little bit, but, like, that stunt show is really a highlight of Universal Studios. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Now, do they have the part where a plane is leading water skiers. Because I was like, this is the most th amazing shit. Yeah, I think they do. <laughs> I think uh, they do, yeah. There's definitely a plane in the stunt show, right? I, like, yeah. I love the idea that this band of pirates have so much style that they're like, we're going to come in. What we're going to do is we're going to ramp some water skiers that are going to be led by a prop plane <laughs> over the floor. Yeah, that they're going to build boats that have ramps that go into the yeah. water so they're their skidoos or whatever and uh skiers can fly over the walls. I love how we're supposed to see like jet skis as uh intimidating pieces of equipment mm -hmm. and we're yeah. already okay, we're just trying to swallow that down and then all of a sudden you see this close up of four guys on water skis. You don't even know what they're being pulled by yet. It's like <laughs> these guys are water skis, all right? Uh, uh, okay, they're coming to kill. And then the camera pulls out, and it's a, it's a plane pulling them, which it's like this is the goofy you know nature yeah. of this movie. It's like yeah. a plane pulling guys on water skis. Yeah. Um, and one technical note, I want to say that um, pretty much any time you see a cable or a wire in this movie, um, what they did was they tried to they had cables and wires uh, on the set doing all this stuff, but they can never achieve the attention and, and safety concerns that, that would be required. Uh, so pretty much every wire you see is a digital wire, um, mm -hmm. and every wire that was there has been digitally erased because those the plane, they tried to have a plane drag those water skiers, uh, and it wouldn't work um, because of the power that was required. Uh, the plane couldn't handle it. So it's a helicopter that it's actually dragging them. The plane is there, but the 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 cables attached to the helicopter have all been painted out, and new wires have been added between the water skiers and the plane. And that that That's continues wild. throughout the, the rest of the movie. And you don't even think about it. Uh, it's, no. it's really it's great work. That's a lot. Yeah. That's that's a lot of work to put in for the idea of a plane pulling water skiing <laughs> yeah. pirates. Uh, 
the now I'm mad. Now I now I agree with Entertainment Weekly and Premiere too much. Uh, so <laughs> Gregor, he has an airship that he's made. He accidentally escapes in it. It's like a hot air balloon that never runs out of hot. He's he's just floating in it for yeah, the rest of his I life. It seems just for months shows afterwards. Up later. He shows up forever and he's always got it. He accidentally escapes. It's a real Wizard of Oz situation. I don't know. No, I don't know how it works. I can't come back uh, before Helen and Enola can join him. Enola's a little girl again. Helen frees the Mariner from his cage. He's He's desperately trying to unlock it as if he's worried about drowning, even though he has gills. I guess it's the algae is going to eat What's him away. What's it like this, like, slop? It's like I guess, mud, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, they kind show of a slop. dead body being lowered into it earlier in the movie, and it's so it's like, it must be really gross, and maybe it'll clog up his gills. Yeah, that's true. It might clog it. That's a good point. She says, I'll free you if you help us escape. Lots of stunts, lots of danger. They manage to trick the bad guys into blowing up the deacon's boat, and they leave. And uh, the deacon has survived, uh, but he lost an eye in the battle. And there's a scene here, I don't know if it's in the theatrical one, where he's walking around the atoll with his accountant, who's a guy in a top hat and a leather vest and glasses and a big book. Mm. And he's like, what stuff have we got? And he's like, well, there's some of this, but there's no weapons. There's none of this. There's no There's no go juice, which is what they call oil. Um, and the deacon is like, there used to be more stuff. Like there used to be more atolls with more stuff on them. Like we don't get any good mm. stuff nope. anymore. And we learn they're looking for the girl with the map on her back. And deacon gives a sermon about how God didn't mean for man and fish to become one, and this fish man is a blasphemy, and they've got to destroy oh. him, you know. Well, uh, no, that would have set nope. up the idea of Deacon. Like, I didn't— In the theatrical I mean, one, you don't know why he's called Deacon. Exactly. Much, right? Like, yeah. at the, well, at the towards the end, he gives, like, a sermon, but it's the first time anything like that has happened. So, yeah. like, this idea of him as this sort of quasi-religious leader— you completely went over my head until I get like at the end. I'm like, I guess he's like, that's what he is, but it's not there. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, the Mariner, he's with the, with the ladies on his boat and he's pretty grumpy. And he's like, my boat's in bad shape. It's broken. I'm, it's not good. I don't have enough hydro for all three of you. We should just throw a Nola overboard. And this is when, uh, in a, in a, in a moment that was heavily hyped in the trailers, uh, Gene Triplehorn takes her clothes off and offers to have sex with them in exchange for their lives, but he refuses. And then she threatens him with a harpoon gun and he drops a sail on her and then hits her over the head with an oar to knock her out. Just nails rough. her. It's very rough. Yeah. 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 He is, he's, uh, he's almost a little too rough. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think that's what, I think, I mean, he's, I think, and the movie is like, it's true. He is, he is a, He's a, they do a, lo, a really good job of making him into a surly, not likable guy in these first sections of the movie. Like, he doesn't like anybody. He's mean. You know that's going to change because it's a movie. But the yeah. but at the uh, it's never quite as bad as it could be because Kevin Costner's performance is a little like not all the way there. I, I feel like it's especially for a guy who made multiple post-apocalyptic movies. He never mm-hmm. seems to be quite post-apocalyptic enough. No, to me. that's the thing. He just seems like kind of like a comfortable California guy. Like yeah. you know, he works best. In- he's got a little like a little like ponytail thing. He works best not in period things. I think he. Mm. He, uh, he, he was Robin Hood, Dan. He was yeah, white, dude. Was the, he was probably the yeah. most widely uh, decried part of Robin Hood, <laughs> even though that was a big success. Like, I like Costner, but I do think he has a very specific range that he operates best in. And here, yeah, he, he doesn't ever seem like he's got maybe the edge that the movie would want him to. I also you like think it when he's he, he the thinks he's 
Yeah. <laughs> I uh-huh. also think that for me, the biggest problem with the movie is these wide tonal shifts where every everything else in the movie is pretty bright and wide-eyed and characters with very broad and, and lit- yeah. you know, like with the villain at the end of the movie saying, you know, they, I don't know where we're going. This is all horseshit. I don't, I, you know, as opposed to say like a Fury Road where, you know, a Morton Joe is like full of shit. Um, but they, he never comes right out and say, I don't know anything about anything, you know, <laughs> but Kevin Costner's Mariner He's in a different movie. It's ultra serious, ultra cruel, um, and there's more cruelty to come. Um, yeah. It doesn't fit. Like, even the music is, like, extremely heroic. Yes. Da, 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 you and, know, and very— by, uh, the end of the, by, by the end of the movie, it is almost cartoonishly heroic. And it's yeah. like, what movie were we watching Well, and that now? was also yeah. a thing, you know, from behind the scenes. Apparently, like, there was a much darker uh, score that was thrown out, and then a new one was written very quickly, so— it By makes sense. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, right? You have to assume. You have to assume, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's by Giorgio Moroder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have loved that. That would be amazing. Oh. Get some synths on this. Fantastic. Uh, so Deacon, he's back at the tanker ship that he calls home. He's in a big tanker ship. Uh, he's trying on a pretty bad-looking fake eye. I remember this so well from seeing it in theaters and how funny it is. This kind of yeah. poorly, this really unconvincing fake eye that he throws away. Uh, and he gets in an old car and drives it through the tanker. That's how huge it is. He's got to go talk to an old man played but by— But wait, hold I, on. When he gets in the car, what music do they play? Some jazzy version of Peter Gunn theme? Yes, yeah. yes, they're like, playing the yeah. Peter Gunn theme. That's movie? right. I mean, to say yeah. a jazzy version of the Peter Gunn theme is redundant. It's a very yeah. jazzy theme. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it is a song that makes no sense in that moment. I don't know if it's supposed to be diegetic, that this is the music he plays when he's driving around. Like, it's a weird choice. It's very weird. And, uh, it's very, very the kind of music King Koopa would listen to while being driven around. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I will say Dennis Hopper, you know, he, he gives his best, like, like B grade Jack Nicholson is the Joker performance here. I oh think. yeah, I mean Dennis Hopper's having fun with it. It seems, or at least pretending to have fun with it. Like he's, he's I feel like, like he's doing fine in it. Yeah, just, you know, he he had great success with Speed as the yeah. villain, and he's yeah. just kind of continuing. He's like he was, he's put his whole whole heart into this. Uh, one thing about the tanker, they don't reveal that it's a tanker. It's just some That's true. place. It's just and, a big place. I, That's true. I think they were like, oh man, the audiences are going to go fucking ape shit when they see that it's the Exxon Valdez and it's like even back then I remember like oh okay it's the Exxon Valdez yeah, they keep calling it they just keep calling it the D's over the and D's, over right. yeah. and I'm like and then, is this like a the, D's nuts bit I don't yeah it's, it was because it's named after their patron saying Eddie D's in I guess uh, that was but, such a specific uh, event at a specific time too that I feel like it had been like referenced so much that probably at the time you're like, oh great, another Exxon Valdez reference, and now people watching it probably are like, what? Well, <laughs> and in the extended cut, there's a scene where earlier in the movie, Dennis Hopper walks past a portrait of the captain of the Exxon Valdez, and it says "captain" and his name under it, and he goes, and he's like, right, Saint Saint Joe or whatever, you know, watch over. We us. do have. That. I saw that in no, a little bit that, of that. Yeah. So it's like, but it's one of those things where it's like it, it's very weird to have a such a topical reference in a movie yeah. set in a post-apocalyptic future, but also about a ship that famously sunk, like that leaked and and or like didn't sink all the way, I guess. But like it's it's not like this was. It's like if they if they revealed they were in the Titanic, and it's like you mean a ship that w- is not seaworthy, right? Like what that they they had to put a lot of work into making it anyway. And also oil tankers 
they deteriorate real fast. Like there's no way one would last as long. But what yeah. I want to say is he, he's trying to find out how much oil they have. And it turns out they only have two months left. They learn that. It's they call it go juice. They learn that from talking to an old man who his whole job is he sits in a rowboat in the tank where with the, <laughs> on top of the oil and tells them. And I was like, is that Carl Oldie Olson from Late Night with Conan O'Brien? Yes, it was. William Preston, what? a.k.a. Carl Oldie oh, Olson. that's awesome. Oh, plays the man God. in the tank. I uh, love who, that shit. Like, I love that there's a weird dude in the tank. Yeah, yeah that, well, that's where gets the most Mad Maxi. Like, in a good way, yeah. That and, yeah. and he has one of the best lines in the movie later in the movie. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think. But uh, he's that is that's a good detail in there where it's a good weird thing where it's like and he just is in the dark all the time because he can't light anything because the oil will go up. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know how he knows there's two months left. I guess by what how close he is to the roof of the tank. But anyway, um, so then we see and I, let me know if this stuff is in the in the shorter version. Uh, we fi- we're back on the catamaran. Helen is going without water, so Nola can have some. And Enola tries to thank them. She goes she goes up to the martyr and she goes, thank you for not killing us. And he doesn't want to talk to her. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek and he shoves her away and runs to the other side of the boat. And mm. she found, and it, it was one of these moments where it was like, oh, this mm-hmm. guy is not just a mean guy. He's like, he he does not, he cannot handle emotion. Like he does not understand yeah. human closeness. Not uh, in the movie. Not, and so, and uh she finds some crayons on the boat, and he gets really mad that she's drawing all over his boat. So he throws her overboard, and then helps Helen to save her. Yeah, and that's that's in it. The that's in there. Throwing overboard, yeah. and that that's the kind of like part where I'm like, wow, movie going for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he the hero just threw and, a little girl into the open sea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He and does I, turn think, around and pick them up, but uh, he did push a small child into the ocean. <laughs> and I think that scene it has more depth to it, having seen him. Mm-hmm. having seen that girl try to be close to him and him yeah. not be able to handle it as opposed to just, I'm mad, as opposed to just being like, when I was single, I could do whatever I wanted, but now I've got a lady <laughs> and a kid, get him out, get her out of here. That's you exactly know? how it reads in the theatrical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they get attacked by the smoker's antique fighter plane and in the fight, Helen manages to damage the boat uh, with some bad harpooning, and the mariner angrily chops off her hair in retaliation uh, with a big knife. And it's a it's a pretty good stunt where he like climbs to the very top, and then when the tension releases, it like flings him into the uh, ocean. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's There's great, great stunts in this. Yeah. The stunts in this are great. Like that's you know. Uh, later, uh, he eats a well, fresh— Well, I'll, I'll give you a production note about the plane uh, oh, yeah. piloted by uh, none other than Jack Black. Um, that is was that around, Jack which Black? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty cool it. gag how they're wrapping the, the cable around the, 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 the Mariner's the, boat. The mast, um, yeah. And uh, so— but that's ex- that would be extremely dangerous to do out in the open water. Yeah. They they couldn't they couldn't get that tied up so that for for framing and for timing for, to give the camera operators something to frame, they did a version of that with a helicopter, and they framed the helicopter in frame, mm. uh, spinning around and doing the thing. And the helicopter was painted out, and a plane was added in its place. And it looks good. It doesn't look all bad. these yeah. all these it, helicopters doing plane jobs. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh. There's some background work later in the movie that looks not very good, but all this stuff looks really good. Mm. Um, the uh, so they uh, were oh yes they get attacked. Uh, there's a scene that I have to assume is not in the theatrical cut where the mariner eats a cherry tomato off of this little tomato plant he has, and he cuts it up into little pieces, and he's eating the pieces one by one as Helen and Anola look on, and he does not share with them. <laughs> he like <laughs> makes such a real show of not sharing this tomato <laughs> with them. Um, uh, does he eat it all gross like that Lord of the Rings guy? You know? No, not as gross. <laughs> You mean normal? <laughs> it's how you eat cherry tomatoes, dude. Yeah, with maximum When your son's about squish. to die, yeah. yeah. Uh, they stop and meet a manic drifter, played by Kim Coates, who uh, is a real 
Terry Tim Gilliam Coates is great in this. He's it, but it's it's like he's he's really doing his again, putting us all into it. But it's a real kind of George Miller, Terry Gilliam type character. Someone who's constantly jabbering to themselves, and you know, and uh, he he has real paper, and he wants to trade it for Helen and Nola. But Kevin Costner only agrees to trade Helen to him for thirty minutes. Uh, then he thinks of, he thinks uh, has a second thoughts about it, and says deals off. They have a duel for a moment. You think that the Drifter has won which would be a strange way for the movie to turn when there's a lot of it left. But no, he mm-hmm. has killed this drifter. I uh, feel like yeah. that Kim Coates brings like a darkness to that performance. So it's not just yes. like a silly uh, Terry Gilliam character. There's like a grounded like, oh no, this guy will kill us. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, this is a, this is a dangerous, unstable person. Uh, I agree. Late, uh, so later on, Helen is berating the Mariner. She's like, we need food. Where's the food? And so he jumps into the water and uses himself as bait to catch an enormous fish monster, which they then cook. And that's a bit I also remember very well from the movie, from seeing the theater. It was like him jumping in and this huge thing swallowing him and then him like And that was, uh, that was all practical. They got a real fish to They got a real again. giant prehistoric fish monster, real mutant fish monster. They had to breed it. Up. That's the hard thing. Who, which fish naturally eats Kevin Costner? Yeah. And they got that one. <laughs> yeah. And Kevin Costner's doctor was like, I told you to stay away from this fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so there's a scene here now where Helen, uh, she hears music and she goes over and the Mariner is listening to some kind of very saxophone heavy jazz on some sort of wind powered CD player. Is that This is not the theatrical cut, right? No. He has like a little CD player that's powered by fans and he's listening to jazz music. And it's crazy. I think a lot of musicians are powered by their fans. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, Stuart. Good point. It's the power of the audience that keeps them going. Yeah, certainly Metallica is, you know. Um, And and, a lot uh, of jazz is breezy. (laughs) uh, Yeah, true. But the idea that he has, as we later learn, he's getting these relics from the bottom of the ocean, that he went down the bottom of the ocean, found a functioning CD player (laughs) that he guess he just dried out. Wind retrofitted CD that, he retro- that didn't get any dirt in it, I guess. He but anyway, put it in a Ziploc bag with some uncooked rice. It was that's fine. possible. Mm-hmm. There's a scene. Yeah. Have you guys ever read the book Lucifer's Hammer? Uh, no. It's about an asteroid is about to hit the Earth, and this guy is like, uh, "This area is going to get floated. What books that I own do I need to save?" And he's double Ziploc bagging science texts and great works of literature so that. That hopefully they'll survive getting waterlogged. So maybe that happened. Somebody did that with their disc man when they saw the floodwaters mm-hmm. rising. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to preserve the Empire Records soundtrack. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, for future generations. I have generations. to preserve William Shatner's Tech World <laughs> or Tech Wars. Tech Wars tech war- book on tape. Yeah. Oh no, but it's only volume two. Uh, we'll never know how, he got, how it got to be a tech war. Uh, so she tells how Enola was a foundling whose basket drifted into the atoll. And she said, I, and she got permission to raise uh, Enola, but she was not allowed to have her own children because resources are so limited. They said, you can never have children, but you can raise this one. And uh, the Mariners, and she's like, do you have any friends? And the Mariners like, yeah, I got this boat. That's my friend. And Helen goes, that's pitiful. I pity you. And, yeah, I don't, I don't remember any of this. In the, and yeah. he gives yeah. Helen some chalk for Enola. And he goes, I'm not giving it to her. This is just to borrow. Anyway, so that's mm. all. It's a lot of the scenes that were about building up their characters, as, as often happens in these movies, gets cut I remember out. the borrowing part. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In There's the movie, a bit the when, uh, when yeah. he's trying to cut the the plane loose when it's wrapping the uh, the, the cable around the mm-hmm. mast where he gets way up top at the top of the mast and he finds a bunch of little cartoons that Enola's <laughs> drawn. I think yeah. that's a good touch. Like, it's a good bit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I I understand. I don't like it when my kids draw on the walls of my house and they're my kids. The idea that, like, someone else would come in. <laughs> 
Uh, the the so we're recording this after we did our shows at Vidiots in Los Angeles, uh, which will someday be public viewable. We don't know when. And we I forgot that in Three Men and a Baby, one of the movies we watched, that uh, Steve Gutenberg, his whole deal is he's painting this huge mural of him and the other act of the, and the other stars of the movie on the inside of their apartment building. And it's like this little girl is just doing what Steve Gutenberg's doing, yeah. just drawing pictures mm-hmm. of herself all over the walls of this house <laughs> or this boat. Uh, the next day, so the, Enola hasn't mentioned she can't swim. And the next day, the mariner takes her for a swimming lesson, and she loves it. But unfortunately, the smokers ambush them using a combination of an island where they've strung up dead men like puppets, so they <laughs> seem to be waving and saying "Come on over," like like those the the uh, the cats and singing, inside come of "Come on over, come on the, over, baby." Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The cat the cats <laughs> in Chinese restaurants that are just waving you in to come in and, <laughs> and and enjoy it, and some underwater jet skiers. And the the image of them waiting underwater is very silly to me. That they're totally. underwater on their jet skis. Well, um, not and not just the image, but it's like he uses his. Uh, Periscope, under, underwater scope, and he's looking and he's panning around and he sees open water and then he pans past the jet skis and he, oh, he comes back, mm-hmm. he does a little double take. Yeah, it's a real Looney Tunes <laughs> move, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I have one, one production note when, when he was teaching Nola how to swim. Uh, you know, a lot of that is Costner, lots of amazing underwater photography in this movie. Um, but for him to be able to do all those moves, he couldn't do those without real flippers. So he uh-huh. has uh, real flippers on, and those were all digitally painted out, and then they had to put CG versions of his feet um, uh, on his, his feet so you don't uh, notice that. And So if you, you do know, a Google search for Kevin Costner feet CGI, you are going to find something just, for just anyone who's stay, into that. Just stop at feet. It's good at feet. Uh, yeah, so yeah, lots yeah. of really good stuff there. But yeah. no, I mean, my, my, the reason I bring it up is that that would be – you know, in today's uh, with today's technology and the, w- the way we do things, that is trivial. That would not even be mentioned in any articles or anything. Yeah. We would do it for, for like mm-hmm. 40, 50 shots, uh, an augmentation of somebody's body part, or they had to get rid of a prop or something like that. It was a really had to big Henry deal. Henry Cavill's mustache. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this was a huge deal, even if, uh, for a handful of shots. And and nobody nobody looks at that scene and thinks about it at all, which is cool. Uh, Todd, you weren't on Henry Cavill mustache removal duty, right? No. Oh, no, I was not. What, what a crazy story, huh? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And, and then you watch Mission Impossible and you're like, yeah, that mustache. Okay, I get it. Character. Yeah. Get yeah. it. Totally. I, yeah. to, for, I, like, I'm, all those people who had to do that work, at least they got paid to do it. And it's like I, they could have added $40 million more million to Justice League's budget, and it would have been worth it for him to wear that mustache in Mission Impossible. That's how, how much higher quality I think Mission Impossible is than, than the Justice League movie. But anyway, should have just I left think, the mustache I mean, in. They should have just had Superman talk, with a mustache. We talked about it, but Why Superman not? should have woken up with a fucking mustache. Yeah, and then, to, and then he shaves it by shooting his lasers off a yeah. mirror, you know, like he does he in the just comics. Shakes his head at the his hand at the clouds and say, Mr. Mr. Mitzelpitalik, you did, did it again, you imp. <laughs> You know, and yep. that's the excuse. He I think you're thinking, he, of, you're thinking of Mr. Mustache Pitlick, <laughs> the uh, mustache-based imp who would bedevil I'm Superman. Just, <laughs> I, you're not saying, you don't think that he would, you know, if Superman was asleep, he'd come in and slap a mustache on him. Just I for do sure. know. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, draw a penis on his head. Sure, yeah. yeah. It seems kind of low rent for Mr. Mr. Pitlick. He has a fifth-dimensional imp with, imp with superpowers, but yeah, okay. Sometimes the simplest is the best, Simple you know? pleasures, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Putting yeah. a mustache on a man who didn't have one. <laughs> putting a mustache on a sleeping man, or uh, or eating if a cherry tomato in front of two moon, people who don't get to have any. <laughs> Mr. Mitzelpitalik can put a mustache on Look, Superman. If that kid can grow leaves on his ankles, then Mr. <laughs> Mitzelpitalik can put a mustache on Superman. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the the smokers attack. Uh, the mariners hurt in the escape, uh, and uh, 
Helen tells him, she goes, Enola's map is for dry land. And he goes, dry land's a myth. There's no such thing. I've, I've gone faster, farther out than anybody else and they've never seen it. And she's like, so where'd you get your dirt and all your cool stuff? And he puts where'd her in kind of like- dirt? <laughs> where'd you get dude. your dirt, dude? <laughs> yeah, dude. And he puts her, Helen, in kind of a glass and canvas diving bell and takes her down underwater. And this is the big reveal where- we see the ruins of these sunken cities. There's skyscrapers everywhere, and it's a real a whole new world, you know, moment. Uh, at the it's end Denver. Of, is it Denver? It, I was trying to, Denver. I was trying to uh, identify the city, and I couldn't. Denver landmarks. There's like a Denver National Bank or whatever in there, and then well, it ends all the, with all the, the iconic the, global landmarks. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> your version <laughs> didn't have them eating an omelet and being like, "Oh, what is this unique combination of flavors?" <laughs> no. That they just yeah. found under there. Yeah, in yeah. the bubble. Uh, and we see Hallie's skeleton shot. wave to them as they go by. <laughs> Denver native. It's like ironically, we saw her as a ghost, kind of. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But you're saying, Todd, in the last shot, no, what happens? Well, the, it ties in the the uh, the ski lift that you see. Uh, yeah. It ties in with the ski boots from earlier. So they're in that general vicinity. Uh, you, I, I like see. that a lot of these assume. shots, uh, the city ruins are kind of underlit. So I'm like, oh, wow, somebody really lit up this joint before those uh, flares are really doing their work. <laughs> yep. Super uh, visible. And- you got the, you got to be able to see the stuff. I mean, and that's and honestly, it's a it's an art direction nightmare. It's supposed to be at the bottom of the ocean, and but you got to be able to see the stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how do you do that? Well, you have to artfully, you know, figure out a way to indicate depth for these. The and this was all um, miniatures. Uh, they they were huge. Uh, like um, well, which was it, Viziri? Were they miniatures or were they huge? <laughs> they were. You're still keeping your story straight. They were jumbo shrimp, all right? They were (laughs) Elliot's ace attorney arm out. It's like how in the making of the Lord of the Rings, they referred to some of these cities as bigatures. Bigatures, exactly. Miniatures. I mean, at 124th scale, uh, uh, the skyscraper is still pretty big. big. They filled up these giant The Tower of Orthanc still towers over mere humans. Um, and they shot it uh, not underwater. They shot those miniatures uh, dry for wet, which is just a, a way you have to smoke up the stage and maintain mm. consistent smoke and and film your passes that way. And uh, it, it gives the impression of underwater. Um, but the actors who were, you know, the, uh, Costner and holding the flare and everything, they, they were shot underwater blue screen, which is very difficult and yeah. painstaking. They didn't. Uh, they didn't shrink the actors <laughs> <laughs> to put them on the. Yeah, would that cost more or less? <laughs> I think that would have added a little to the budget. Yeah, okay. and the insurance Costner's costs, contract says no shrinking. <laughs> yeah, if the enlargement doesn't work, then the insurance costs are considerable. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the uh, the story about uh, Born on the Fourth of July, where Oliver Stone was like, "Well, Tom Cruise, I want to inject you with a serum that will paralyze your legs for two days." <laughs> and Tom Cruise was like, "Let's do it." And the producers were like, "We cannot pay the insurance bills if you do that. Like, we we will not Is let that you paralyze true? the store." That's what I heard. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What I read. Yeah. Uh, and that Tom Cruise at that time was like, go for it. This is my chance to prove I'm a real actor. I'll have my legs paralyzed. It'll, be, it, it'll prove I'm a real actor if instead of acting like my legs don't work, you will inject me with something that will make it actually not happen. Um, you know, it's in that post-Raging Bull era. Everyone was all about body mod. Uh, anyway, so they see the sunken city when they surface. Surprise, surprise, the smokers are on the boat. Why did they think that was a good time to go, go on a date in the city? Um, they didn't get a sitter. Uh, and Enola gets kidnapped. The adults escape by jumping into the water and kissing so that the mariner can gill breathe for both of them, which is not really how breathing works. I've tried that move before, guys. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, no. 
But uh, he goes, I'll breathe for both of them, both of us. It's it it reminded moment. me of that Roger Moore, uh, I think it was a view to a kill where he's in a, a car that gets the bad guys sunk it underwater. And he, in order to act like he's dead, he he opens up the tire pressure of the tires yes. and he, he grabs the, the air out of the tires. I don't think that would work either. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Uh, and the smokers burn the boat and they take Enola. Now we're back on the smokers, big city, you know, wink, wink. We don't know it's a tanker yet. And the deacon is trying to get Enola to tell him where dry land is. And she is fully little girl in an action movie now. She's like, the Mariner's going to come get me. He's going to kill all of you. You're all going to die now. <laughs> and later on, she has a line that I love where she goes, they go, what's his, you don't even know his name. And she goes, he doesn't have a name, so death can't find him, which I think is a great line. Doesn't make sense that death has to look you up in the phone book. Guys. I yeah. was loving that shit. <laughs> it's a great line that again doesn't make sense. De- why I was death fucking firing my six like, guns in the air when she said that shit. That's like uh, walking, that's up there with the Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I'm here to pick somebody up for the afterlife. Oh yeah, what name? Oh, uh, they didn't give me a name. Well, then I guess uh, your paperwork's you not the order, I'm sir. About. He's got gills. <laughs> he's got yeah, gills and web feet. He's like the one gill guy. Come on. Yeah, come on. He looks like the guy who was gonna be in the big chill, but they cut him out. No, sorry, I don't know anyone around here. Sorry. Uh, so um, she's so sure of it. Anyway, uh, back on the burnt wreck of the Mariner's boat. Uh, is this in the theatrical cut that that Helen and the Mariner make love sincerely here? Yes. No. Uh, she's like, she's oh, like, yeah, yeah. She's like, why didn't you choose to oh, go wait, with maybe. me before? And he's like, because you didn't want it. And she's like, well, we're all going to, we're going to die. So do it to me now, fish man. And they, <laughs> yeah. you see them making out. Also a line and then cut from Shape of Water. Is Gil, is Gil stuff okay? And he's like, I insist. Yeah, and then there's a moment where there's a, and then after that there's a, there's a, and she's despairing. She's like, she's like, we're gonna die here. There's no way. And he's like, we can never give up. Uh, the mar- fishman never give up. But then he <laughs> sees the smoke from the boat and maybe was watching them do it. I don't know. It's Gregor in his airship. He's just been floating around for days in that thing. And he takes them to a new mini atoll that's just boats lashed together. The survivors from the earlier attack. There's some arguing. There's some time killing in the. So I know that this is different in the extended cut. The mariner steals a boat. He says, he goes, they go, you can't take that. And he's like, well, either give it to me or I'm just going to take it. Bill me. He he goes back to his catamaran and he finds a drawing of palm trees that Enola drew. And he compares it to a magazine picture of palm trees that he has in his paper. Oh, I saw that one. That's in the movie? In the movie earlier. Right? Yeah, oh, okay. they, they switched it I was, around. Yeah. I did some research on it. But the part where he leaves is not there. And when he comes back, oh, so then two smokers on jet skis show up the atoll and they're like, okay, let's take everything. And the mariner leaps out of the water, kills both of them. And he and he's like, I'm going to go back for Enola. And Gregor is like, oh, he does want to find dry land. And he's like, this isn't about dry land. This, this doesn't mm-hmm. exist. He takes a, he takes one of the jet skis. He takes a Molotov cocktail and throws it in the water, and that lights up the trail of oil that I guess the other jet ski was was trailing. And he follows mm. that back to the See, bad guys. That's kind of cool. It's a yeah. cool moment, and that's not. And I, I I was reading up that that's not the theatrical cut. So in the movie, right, you don't know how he gets a jet ski or how he finds the bad guys. Nope. He just kind of shows nope. up. Yeah. Yeah. So they they cut that, which I'm surprised. You by. can just assume he has access to jet skis. <laughs> I mean, I if the Punisher like that, can get one. Exactly. Then, yeah. Well, but, the, but the, that jet ski rental guy must have learned his lesson. He just rented a Punisher from the jet ski. He rented a, a jet ski to the Punisher. Kiss that <laughs> oh, baby man. goodbye. Yeah. If he had rented, if he had rented the a Punisher to the jet ski, <laughs> the jet ski zooms up and goes. Eh, I need a, a vigilante that a lot of people have mistakenly turned into a hero in their minds. And they're like, well, we have one. It's the Punisher. Here it is. His name's Frank Castle. Uh, so anyway, he takes that jet ski back. Back at the smoker's place, the bad guys are like, it's hard to read the map on this girl's back. Let's just cut it off. Uh, but they, they're they discussing that. 
The Mariner sneaks on board. Uh, he kills a guy with his jet ski, and the other people that are in that room think it's hilarious. They're like, ah, <laughs> that's how tough these guys are. The deacon gives a very long speech to his followers where the Mariner sneaks around on the on their on their city ship. It takes a long time. That this is where you could easily have cut it much shorter, and I don't know yeah. why they didn't. Yeah, you know, that's a. Cool, I think they wanted to get production value out of that set. The, that's the, possible, the, that's which cool. is really amazing and cool. It's built. Yeah. Uh, like it's it's full scale. I mean, actors are walking around it, but it's built. And they a didn't little shrink bit. them. They did not shrink no. them. But it's <laughs> built at the end of it is shrunk. It's a little forced perspective oh, so that it would be oh, cool. less. So if, if 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 an actor was all the way at the back, they would look huge. Um, you know, one of those funhouse type things. But uh, mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous set, and they they considered doing it by the coast to get that light, and they realized we're we're not going to do this. We're not going to do it there. We're gonna, I think they ended up shooting it like in Pasadena or something, just some open fields. Oh, yeah, or something. great schools. And then all yeah, digi- yeah, little yeah. old ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want the the smokers <laughs> to have a future. Uh, and then that's uh, CG water all around them. And oh, those, interesting. Okay, those really cool does, shots. It all looks really good. And that they, what yeah. I heard, I don't know if this is true. What I heard was that they had planned to sink either this or the atoll set to turn it into a reef, but that they used toxic paint and that so it would never be a natural reef and they had to oh, remove all wow. of it. And that added to the cost. They're like, we don't have to pay for dismantling it. We're creating a real coral reef right here. We're making the oceans better. We use the paint that is not poisonous to fish, right? Oops. Oops. <laughs> that, so I check to, the paint and it has a bunch of fish bones on it. <laughs> <laughs> it has the, and the, like and the I just, just went I through thought, it. I thought it was sponsored by the band Fishbone. I didn't realize. Yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and obviously one of the highlights of this giant set is painted in very large letters uh, underneath where the deacon gives his speech are the words, no smoking. How yes. ironic. Since How all, ironic. How all the cousins are smoking. They're all smoking all the time. And uh, so uh, he gives the speech. He goes, okay, everybody, get this thing moving. And everybody goes away. And that's when the mariner shows up and starts arguing with them. And at any moment, the deacon be like, can, could be like, uh, all the, the the whole army of people that were standing here a moment ago, can you take care yeah. of this guy? But instead, it becomes a tete-a-tete. And They're the mariner, all working. I guess they are working, yeah. That's the way you do it. They don't mm-hmm. have money for nothing and chicks for free. I, I, they got to work the, for a living, yeah. The, the, the smoker's rowing. I mean, come on, that's funny. It is. That's true. <laughs> that they're rowing this enormous thing, and yeah, and they can't, and they can't do it because they're smoke because their their lungs are bad. Yeah, and the, cut uh, to the deacon saying, uh, "I don't know where we're going. We haven't figured it out yet." You know, it's kind of yeah. good. Yeah. The uh, the the mariner he holds a flare over an open pipeline, an open uh, pipe that just goes straight down into the oil. They should have a cover for that. That's harder to remove. That you know, and. He says, I'll drop this in here if you don't give me an Ola. And they go, he's bluffing. And then he just drops it in and the whole place explodes. Yeah, he's really making a, a gamble there that what what does happen happens where it's like there's a lot of, I guess, blowing out of the sides. But, yeah, uh, not but so much his the top. deck area is still intact enough that he can do his Mariner's shit, you know? Yeah, and uh, poor Carl Oldie Olsen, he just is vaporized in a ball of flame, you know? Uh, but he with says that great- the line. I forgot what the line is. Oh, thank God. Oh, oh, thank yeah. God. Oh, thank God. Like that's right. Cut to him blowing Because he's so, he's so done with this life. He, did, he didn't ask for this. Yeah. That's right. I forgot that it was, oh, thank God. And uh, the, uh, that, uh, that actor is super funny. I always loved him when he was on Conan O'Brien. <laughs> not really understand what he was saying a lot of the time, but that was the joke. Anyway, so the whole tanker blows up. Explosions. Fight, fight, fight. And the movie gets kind of goofy. From this point on, it beca- the, yeah. the stunts and action stuff gets sillier. There's a lot more of the Deacon 
saying silly things. Um, the Deacon tries to escape in that old plane with Enola, very speed too. The other movie we just watched, mm-hmm, The Idiots, where the bad mm-hmm. guy tries to escape with with a girl in the plane. Uh, but Mar- Mariner snags it with a grappling hook and it crashes. He rescues Enola, he hugs her. And I found that, that hug after the extended cut feels very meaningful. Like that wow. he, he is like, that he's like, this is why I came back to save you because I, I love you. You're someone who I've come to care for. And I'm sure in that, I don't, it probably, if that shot is in the theatrical cut, I imagine it doesn't have quite the yeah. same meaning to yeah, it. Yeah, it's just you know? like, uh, he, he did it. I mean, it was a terrible plan, but he, he did succeed. He managed um, to pull it off anyway, the, yeah. The well, action also leading like, up to, I was just going to say, like, every moment when every step of his plan relies on him finding what he needs right next to him. <laughs> right there, yeah. So he's like, oh, an anchor, great. Uh, and a cable, I can attach that. Cool, I'll slide yeah. down. Wow, another cable, perfect. This was one of those moments where I was really like, oh, action movies are predicated on the idea of people doing physical things that would only work if they were pre-planned ahead of time. Like, there's no way to, yeah. to do these things spontaneously. But, but uh, Todd, you were going to say something. Well, the uh, action that leads up to him doing the, the zip lining thing is the mm-hmm. most inconsequential action in the movie. All I, of a sudden, remind me he what it becomes... Is, at, at this, whenever it turns... I've, I've found that the older I get, the less a, the more action scenes just become kind of like a stew that I He's kind in of the like belly of the, of the D's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's in the belly of the D's and he's just picking off guys and they, oh, they yeah, think yeah. They, oh. and, and like their whole place is blowing up this is another one of those things about action movies where like the henchmen it's like shit is going down everybody but then they're still loyal they've to still the boss they've still got their eye on job and one they, they, yeah. they gotta get that guy so everything is blowing up but they're like where is he Where there he is and they're still going at him and he's just doo, 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 doing all these cool moves and stuff totally inconsequential but when he's on the top and he zip lines down and explosions behind him I mean that's that's a, a really cool stunt that Costner did himself those those mm. close ups of him doing it that's him uh, I think for a couple of the wide shots it is a, a stunt performer um Pretty cool. And then he, he lands and and there's a tracking shot of the plane uh, taking off and he's running alongside it and he throws the anchor up to it, the conveniently placed anchor. Pretty neat shot. Um, yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. But a lot of this action stuff, maybe I could suggest a reason it doesn't land as well. Up until this point, it's like the Mariner, like the reason the Mariner, I guess, is the best at being a guy on a boat is because he has a cool boat and mm-hmm. he has fins. He lives there all the time. He knows it really well. He has fins and gills. Yeah. Like this part of it, it's just like, well, why is he like just like a good action guy? Like yeah. this doesn't play to his boat or gill-based strengths. <laughs> <laughs> what is yeah. this? That's true. It, 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 this part of the movie, I have to admit, it starts feeling very generic to me. Before yep. that, even the action scenes had kind of like a – even though the, even as Mad Max ripoffy as they are, they mm-hmm. had a certain personality and character to them. And here it just feels like John McClane could be doing this. Ethan Hunt right. could be doing this. Like there's nothing – like yeah. you just it doesn't play two to, of the best guys, Elliot. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but I mean like – but they're just guys. They're not fishmen who live in a water world. You know, this could be any – this could be Ethan any Ethan Hunt star. could grow gills if he needed to. <laughs> That's true. If there's one action star, I imagine Tom Cruise is – they're like, Tom, for this movie, we need to surgically implant gills in your neck. Now, you may not be able to breathe air anymore. All right, I'll do it for the part. You know, anything. <laughs> well, I was just well, imagining like, the, like we need you to have gills and he just starts concentrating really hard. <laughs> and, and the slits just open forming. up. Because that's my training. 
Yeah. Well, uh, to Dan's point, like earlier in the movie when they're escaping the atoll, when he fires the grappling hook and he pulls that the the machine gun boat to hit the other. I mean, that's that's up his wheelhouse. That's his. Yes. Yeah. That's his. That's his strength. Uh, sliding, zip lining down, and you know, being kind of yeah. James Bondy inside the thing. It's. it's I mean, anything involving weird. running should not be his strength. It's not like he's doing laps around the catamaran. Like, he doesn't have yeah. a lot of room to do that. The beginning and, of the movie, he stumbled uh, yeah. like on dry land. Yeah. So, so, uh, fight, so, uh, he tried, so they, um, Helen, just at that moment, Gregor and Helen and the sheriff, he's back in the movie. They show up in the airship. They save our heroes. Uh, Deacon tries to climb aboard, but they knock him off into the ocean. And that's when, as the smoker tanker sinks, it's revealed to be the Exxon Valdez. <gasps> Oh, yeah. It, uh, it, uh, the whole time. <laughs> real payoff. It was this. Yeah. My theater was howling. No, they I'm were kidding. like, ah, we get that. <laughs> anyway, uh, the deacon tries to. Uh, it's a. It, the deacon try, There's so much that doesn't make sense. I mean, oil tankers, they deteriorate fast from having oil in them. Also, <laughs> okay, it's famously, we, it was a tanker that leaked. So the idea that they are now storing all their oil in it doesn't make yeah. sense. It's just, it's dumb. It's a dumb reference. So deacon shoots the airship. Which causes Enola to fall out of it, and this is the this is the goofiest moment I feel like in the whole movie, and it's the most '90s moment where the Mariner bungee jumps out of the airship and <laughs> grabs her and pulls her up just in time for the Deacon and two of his henchmen to crash their jet skis into each other and explode together. It's yeah, I loved, I also loved like, that. What was moment. their plan? Were they gonna? Was one of them gonna stop when they got to Enola, or were they just gonna <laughs> smash into her? Like, well, they were so distracted by the the awesome bungee by this they awesome just saw. bodacious stunt I, they just that's saw. That's gotta so be tubular. It. They're like, how was, did he measure that right? <laughs> I thought it was great other than I'm pretty sure that the fireball started before they all collided, but. That's possible. Yeah, I think that, that bungee stunt, yeah. the, the only thing that would have made it goofier to me is if they added a sproing sound effect to it. Yeah. You know, it's it's such a, it's not how ropes work. Like, I don't know what they're doing. You know, it's, but anyway, uh, maybe or they had they a bungee included a there. shot, like a Die Hard 2 style shot where like she, they spring up into the camera with the fireball beneath them and you yeah. see it close up on their but face. But that's it. But no, no, but that's in there. It's a, oh, a shit, looking down. It. At, oh, that's right. There uh, is one. And you see like the that. Mariner like looking up, and you see his face, and I'm like, "This is Die Hard too." Yeah. Um, which is it, it's if if they had just gone one step uh, lower and not shown <laughs> Cosner's face, you know, uh-huh. it, it, I think it would have been a little less like uh, stagey. But when he looks up and you see his face, it, it kind of doesn't. Well, this movie was pitched it as it was pitched as Die Hard on the entire ocean. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is a limited amount of space. Yeah, you know, it's still, if, still yeah. boundaries, yeah. What if some bad guys were trapped on the entire ocean but with I feel a good like, guy? Yeah, they could have gotten away with just having Deacon fall out of the airship into the ocean. Like, you don't need to— sh- the last have a moment. shark bite him out of midair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that would be great. That's a, that big fish that we saw eat the Ken earlier. The earlier, yeah. Just have it jump up and eat him. And it's like, Kevin Costner's like, thanks, buddy. But they, like <laughs> that, that, that extra little beat so that they could— Make us think for a moment that what Enola's going to die at the end of all this, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, they 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 climb, they get back in the airship, and Gregor finally decodes the map on the back of her. Uh, that there are numbers on it that he couldn't understand, but he kind of coordinates them with. I forget where he got this document from. It was from the Mariner or not. And he realizes that they're longitude and latitude lines. That that is a science that they have forgotten at this point. But now he's like, oh, it must relate to where the 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 Earth the Earth is in relation to the Sun and blah 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 blah. So they he now knows where dry land and he goes, dry land is that way and points in the exact opposite direction of where they're going. <laughs> um, mm. 
They get to dry, they're floating for a long time. They get to dry land. I actually really like the moment where the Mariner wakes up in the boat, in the basket, and there's a seagull that has landed on the mm-hmm. edge of the airship. And that's what tells them they're near dry land. I, I thought that's a nice touch. Yeah. Bring in yep. a little bit of Noah, a little bit of the Columbus story into there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and then mar- he they- bungee jumped off the boat <laughs> after that. Yeah, he goes, watch <laughs> this, it's going to be radical. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fucking dope. <laughs> he goes, hey, 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 do you think Chester Cheetah could do this? And he jumped out, yeah. So out. <laughs> they're marveling at the, they go to dry land, fresh water, there's trees, there's horses, they're marveling at all of it. They find a cabin with some skeletons inside. It's what, That's Hawaii? Kind of- it's Hawaii, right? Shot no, it's Hawaii. not Hawaii. It's not Hawaii we, because in the, in the theatrical cut, I don't think you find out exactly where they are. In the extended cut, they do another reveal at the end. Uh, they, it's what, what's left of Enola's people is there. They're great. They they made it, but the Mariner, he's got to be on I, the Marin. You know, he's got to be in the water. Yeah, I Dan. Back up just one quick moment. I know we're close. Yeah, to back the end, that movie but up, like, Dan. Mm. <laughs> so purportedly, this these the skeleton couple. You know, before they died. <laughs> Yeah, set Enola out to sea, like Moses, like, but on the whole open ocean, like, yeah, like, it was a dumb a bassinet of, I, I don't understand. Yeah, but apparently, they put her in a basket and just floated her out, and she was lucky enough that she found other people yeah, before she, she died. Went straight to that at all of exposure, because also the thing is, babies they last less long than regular than grown up people <laughs> on the yeah. open ocean. You don't say. No, they have to eat like every. They can't hold that much food in their tummies. They got to eat like every hmm. few hours. They're you constantly pooping. This. So you got to imagine that basket was also full of just full of poop, just gross. Yeah. So of all the things in the movie that are are big leaps of logic, this is certainly the biggest. <laughs> um, and I, I, why they, they, and she Helen's like they must have known they were dying, and it's like, uh, so they it does none of it makes sense. Anyway, well, we're all dying, doctor. ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you've been dying since and the day you were born. Are they implying you know that the, the tune that she's been humming the whole time was that music was box? Was that music box? Yeah. I, also, I don't buy that. If she was a baby mm. when they put her in it, there's no way. Yeah, they find a music box. But she remembers like, oh, everything. Home. They've made that's a true. point of that. Well, that's, mm-hmm. she draws things that come from her her memories of the dry land. Like she, Even before her vision and object permanence was fully fully uh, developed, she could see horses I mean, and can now draw them. I mean, this whole idea of like her being— Like this is—, this is like on a script level, this is one of the things that annoys me the most is like they're just like sort of tossing in this kind of pseudo chosen one child. I mean, like she's not special, but she has like a map to the promised land. Well, yeah. and, and it's also I that they, they're doing a lot of the thing that movies do too much of, in my opinion, which often, which is like got to tie up every reference. Everything's got to point to something else. So like if she's humming a tune, it's got to be that she heard it there. If she's drawing things, it's got to be that she's, it's stuff she remembered. Like there's no, mm-hmm. a thing can't happen and just be on its own. It's got to pay, the same, or like if they can't just be on a tanker, it's got to be the Exxon Valdez, you know? Right. The, it's yeah. got to tie up to something. Uh, a lot of IP is what I'm saying. The Exxon Valdez yeah. IP was very valuable <laughs> at the time, you know? The yeah. name recognition is huge. Yeah. Yeah. People wouldn't like the movie. Well, like, if Benedict Cumberbatch is going to play a villain in a Star Trek movie, it can't be a new character. It has to be Khan, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, Enola's mad because the Mariner is leaving them, and uh, the and she she doesn't want to say goodbye to him. She runs away instead of saying goodbye. And the Mariner kisses Helen, and he goes, well, I'm leaving, but everyone I'll see, I'll tell them to go to dry land. I'll tell them the direction of it. And I almost want her to be like, did you see most of the other people on the ocean? I don't know that we <laughs> want them here necessarily. They um, were dicks. <laughs> and I think none of this is in the it's version like, yeah, you saw. Every crazed drifter I come across, I will send <laughs> your way. I'll tell them where there's, where there's a lady and a little girl that they can, <laughs> that they can bring their paper to. And uh, 
She says, before you go, I have a gift I want to give you. And he goes, I don't want a gift. She goes, I'm going to give you a name because he doesn't have a name. And she tells him the story of a, of a, of a great <laughs> sailor who angered the, the god of the sea and so was cursed to wander the earth for 10 years and could never get home. And his name was Ulysses, and I'm going to name you Ulysses. And- Leopold Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was yeah, Captain was- Steubing. So I'm naming you <laughs> – I'm naming you Ulysses. And he goes, well, technically you should name me Odysseus. And she's like, forget it, forget it. Just leave then. I don't need that kind of shit. Anyway, so that so, wasn't in our cut, right? That okay. Was, I, nope. I think that's just in the extended cut. Yeah. And uh, he sails off. And then, and I know that this is also not in the theatrical cut, Helen and Enola, they, they climb a peak and they find a plaque that tells them, this is the spot where Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay first set foot on Mount Everest. And I was mm. like- Come on. You do, and it's treated like it's the Statue of Liberty reveal in Planet of the Apes. Like, oh. Right, right. And it's totally unnecessary. It doesn't matter. It has no meaning. The Statue of Liberty has a meaning in Planet of the Apes because what it shows him is this is Earth and the things he loves has, loves have been destroyed. You know, whereas, okay, it's the top of Mount Everest. Who gives a shit? I don't. Yeah. Like, it doesn't that mean anything is. to anybody. Yeah. Well, like I assumed yeah. it was some shit like that. Yeah, it's got to be a tall mountain. It's above the water. Okay, but um, and that's the end of the movie. And that's I, it. I mean, yeah. it, it's unfair to compare it to Road Warrior, like I said. But it's like Road Warrior has none of those like cutesy tie-ins. Like, it's not a lot of setup payoff. It's just, it's just pure adrenaline, pure momentum, well, and, and that, uh, uh, pure hardly any dialogue. Raves and, Todd Vazir. <laughs> and, and that in those in the Mad Max movies, they're so except the. I mean, the first one is set in just kind of like a near future where they still have civilization. But in the, yeah, in yeah, the sequels- normal Australia. Normal Australia where there's <laughs> biker gangs roaming around killing people. But in the in the sequels, they're clearly living in the detritus of an earlier age, but there isn't any of that like, yeah, none of that cute stuff or like, you know, uh, we, you know, we it's not like Zardoz where it's like, oh yeah, where I took it from the Wizard of Oz. Anyway, that it's, it's our world. It's a- yeah, there's just not you don't need it. You don't need that stuff don't unless it, it is something like Planet of the Apes where it is so thematically meaningful, you know. Mm-hmm. But Waterworld, should we get to Final Judgment Stand? Because we're talking about Waterworld ma- all the time. Well, yeah, we should get to Final Judgment. But before that, I'm gonna pitch you the makers of pure from the from the makers of pure mu- moods, pure adrenaline. Mm-hmm. For when you're too chilled out, you need pure adrenaline to come in and even it back out to center yeah. yourself. You know, between yeah, sure. the two, you got everything you need. Yeah. Yeah. Just watch like a Safety Brothers movie or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. Except, wait a minute. The, the, uh, <laughs> that might be too much pure adrenaline at that point. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to more or- Ornico Flow or whatever it's called. Ornoco uh, Flow. Uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Flow from an Ornoco. <laughs> um, so, Final Judgments. Is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie? You kind of like, I'm going to say, I think it's pretty clear from the way I've been talking about it. I think probably most of us agree, but I'm not going to make any assumptions. It's a movie I kind of like. It's like certainly nowhere near the failure it was made out to be. It uh, either needs, I think, more of the stuff that got cut from it, because that sounds like it would have deepened it. Or it needs less of the stuff that's in the theatrical cut because then it could be more of just an adrenaline rush. It's like a little too betwixt and between, but I think it's pretty good. I mean, enjoyable. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to say it's a movie I kind of liked. I wish there was two more bungee jump scenes, but that's okay. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, yeah, this is good, uh, but not like loving it. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, I think tonally it doesn't all work and like, 
Costner feels overly harsh in large chunks of what seems like a fun romp. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's fine. It's yeah. I mean, I would love for a movie, uh, uh, a studio to put out a water world these days. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a movie I like. I, I'm a sucker for post-apocalyptic stuff, uh, as much as I've been ragging on certain aspects of it, but, uh, it's a movie that in the extended version really works even much better. The tone is not quite as per is not perfect, but it is less jarring. It's hard. A movie like this, it's hard to know who you're making it for. Like it's, mm. it's a, it has to be a PG 13 movie cause it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. So it can't be quite as rough as it needs to be. And it's, it's a movie in search of an audience and like I'm that audience, but I don't know how much of me there is in the world. I mean, there's a lot of me in Hollywood, I guess, like kind of nerdy Jewish guys. And so they want to see yeah. the movies and they make them. But the, uh, there's a, but it's, it's a movie that I got, feel, I feel like got unfairly slammed. I don't see a world where this gets great reviews across the board and is nominated for awards, but I would like to see a movie like this more where it's a big action movie it's not based on a thing. Like this is, I mean, this is, you should say adapted from the Mad Max movies, but it's like that it's a, a somewhat original thing. And I don't know. And it's, and it's very and, fun. Uh, you said it part. didn't get, it won't get nominated for awards, but it did get nominated for best uh, stunt show, right? Yes. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was nominated for a sound award, to, I think. But like, this is the kind of thing that, I mean, there's a, I'm excited that I live in a world where Fury Road exists, which is like, the much better version of this kind of thing. And it does get the respect it deserves, but it just yeah. shows you the level of quality a movie like this has to be at to get respect. It has to be Fury Road, which is nearly perfect. And Waterworld, which is very imperfect, I think it doesn't, it didn't get a fair shake, but I like it. Todd, what do you think? You hate it, right? Uh, I, I, no, I'm going to make it unanimous. It's a movie I kind of like. I, I would never go out of my way to defend this movie. And I'd probably, I don't know if I would recommend it unless you, you know, really wanted to see some beautiful vistas and, you know, hang out on the water. I, I, I'm really a big Kevin Costner fan. Um, there's a lot to like about it and there's a lot to like nitpick. And it's actually, it's actually kind of fun to talk about after we're doing it with the people you're watching it with and do a postmortem and go, what worked and what didn't, because it, it there's a lot to talk about. And uh, I, and I especially liked what Dan said is like a little more or a little less probably yeah. would have been better because uh, where we are, it's a little disjointed and all over the place. I feel like this is a movie that works best in a world where it can be the length it needs to be and does not have to sell Mariner action figures. Uh, and then it can kind of be the movie that it wants to be as opposed to the movie that it needs. It's, it reminds me a lot of the David Lynch Dune in some ways where it's like, this doesn't totally work. There's a lot of neat, interesting yeah. things in it, but this is not something that I would sell coloring books or play sets off right. of. And this kind of had to do that, you know? And it's a big swing. I mean, it, this yeah. production, yeah. I mean, and, and nothing swim. looks like it. It's a big swing. I mean, nothing looks like this movie. And that's kind of cool. It's crazy to say, I didn't think about this till now. How, how much of this movie takes place in full daylight under, under the sun with, and like, it's not something you see a lot in these types of movies. Mm-hmm. It, like, mm-hmm. is there's almost there's very few night scenes. There's almost no night action scenes. Like everything is like right on camera, right on screen. They can't hide things, you know, unless they're digitally cleaning it up. But it's amazing how there's there's a story to be made. There's a, there's a book to be written about how all special effects movies afterwards owe a debt to Waterworld, I guess. But uh, I'm not going to write that book. I don't know enough about it. It would take some kind of special effects king to do that. Huh. Yeah. We don't know any of those. No, <laughs> no, 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 me neither. I don't know. I don't know yeah. any. No. I'm Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. 
What movie character made you feel seen? I knew exactly what it was. Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play them. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave, so try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a Big Business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes, Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that, but you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, today the Flophouse is sponsored in part by Smalls. Now, I don't know about you, but I have two little kitties that live in my house, and I love them to pieces. In fact, I love them so much, I need to give them pieces of food all the time. And you know who makes delicious pieces of food? Smalls. And those pieces are nutritious and healthy, just like the type of food you would find in your refrigerator. So... Do you want to give your cat protein-packed recipes uh, made from preservative-free ingredients? That's where you're going to get them, right from Smalls. Smalls recently kicked off a partnership with the Humane Society. They've donated over a million dollars worth of food to help cats through the Humane Society, and they even give you a chance to donate at checkout. Whether you donate $3 for treats, $5,000 for, for vaccines, or $7 for spaying or neutering, it's up to you. You can donate. Um, so we love smalls. Our cats love smalls. When I get, when I bring the box inside, the cats rub all over that thing. And not just cause it's a box, it's cause it's filled with stuff they like. Mm. So is your cat food go, uh, giving back to cats in need? Well, smalls is. So if you want to give smalls a try and ditch kibble forever, head over to smalls.com slash flop and use promo code flop at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you're going to find anywhere, but you have to use our code, which is FLOP, for 50% off your first order. One last time for everybody listening, that's promo code FLOP for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. We're also sponsored by Babbel. Guys, what do you call a person who speaks three languages? Right, trilingual. I'll answer for you. Someone who speaks two languages, bilingual. Someone who speaks one language, American. Wah, 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 wah. But it's true. Only 22% of Americans speak a language other than English at home. I know it is something that I am deeply disappointed in myself about. I've always wanted to speak another language. I feel like it's really limited me as a traveler, as someone who kind of can get into the mindset of people in other parts of the world to know their language, to be able to speak that way. So why not start learning a new language this fall and be the exception to that, not the rule? With Babbel, you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Look, my Babbel, it works. I've I've been playing with Babbel. I've been enjoying it. And I find that the words get into my head quicker. I can remember them a little bit easier. I think because the way they lead you through the learning of it feels very natural. 
feels very uh, organic. It's taking you through real situations. It's not telling you to ask where the library is, although I do want to know where the library is when I travel to different places, even though I can't read those books because I don't know the language yet. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with a language app that's basically just a game. We love games, but they're not going to teach you languages. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Might take you a little longer, but it could be as little as three weeks. Probably won't take you less, but who knows? Maybe you're just that good at it. I don't know. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. A study found that. Someone studied it and found that. And like I said, I found the Babbel courses are super quick. They're super easy. I found I had to slow myself down because I I was enjoying them so much and I was finding them so straightforward and so simple that I was going through them really quickly. And I kind of wanted to make sure that the words stuck in my head. You pick up real things that you would say, how to talk to people, how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to people in stores without having to use an app on vacation because you know it now and you're not learning the stuff that would be neat to know but isn't that useful, like how to say dinosaur in other languages, which I do want to know. Let's just say that when it comes to Babel's language learning, I like or me gusta. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription only for our listeners at babbel.com slash flop. If you try to go there and you are not a listener, you'll be rejected. So get 55% off at babbel.com slash flop, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash flop. Rules and restrictions may apply, but go to babbel.com slash flop for 55% off. And we also have a jumbotron. This one is for MJ, and it's from Mora, who says, Happy anniversary! The traditional gift for the fourth anniversary is fruit. So here's a shout-out from the peaches. Aww. Me and the ghoulie girl are incredibly lucky to have you as a husband and father. Here's to many more years of wing nights, singing silly songs to that baby, and you patiently explaining board game rules to me. I love you so much. That's, you know, we just talked about the difficulty of explaining boardroom board game rules. It's a it's a good test and boardroom ghouls. Yeah. Board, boardroom ghouls. It's a good test of patience and kindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a good marker of what sounds like a nice relationship. Before we go, I just want to mention the Flophouse is also also brought to you by the Flophouse. And of course, as I've said many times, November 4th. It's the first Saturday of the month. It's the next episode of Flop TV, our online TV version of the Flophouse. You get to see us and hear us instead of just hearing us. We go eat what we give a presentation. We go through a movie and we answer questions from the audience. It's super fun. We're on episode four. We're halfway through our six episode season and we're going to be doing Over the Top on November 4th. Over the Top starring Sylvester Stallone's arms and also the rest of his body there attached to. It's an arm wrestling movie. That's why I put it that way. Tickets are at theflophouse.simpletix.com. Again, that's theflophouse.simpletix.com. You can get a ticket for that episode or buy a season pass and the season pass gets you access to the videos of all the previous episodes. So if you can't join us on November 4th, don't despair. Your ticket still gets you access to that video. Guys, I've been really enjoying doing Flop TV with you. It's been super fun. And we're going to have these next three episodes. And then I think we'll take a break. And then we'll see what the future may hold for it. And I also want to mention, as I did last week, that Hades number three, the most recent issue of my Hades comic series, starring the Disney villain of the same name, is out in stores now from Dynamite. And 
It's the third issue of a fun story. It's a heist story. It's an ancient Greece story. It's a funny story. It's a five-issue miniseries. Pick up issue three. Maybe pick up issue one and two. Go to your local comic book store. Buy it there. Do it. I'm telling you. Do it right now. Do it. You're listening to this on okay. headphones. Get in your car or Jeez walk over Louise. there. Get money right, out of your pocket. Fine. Hand it to that guy, the guy who okay. wears the comic store. Dan, go do it right now. Dan, do it. All right. Uh, let's move on to letters from listeners. Are you a listener? Yes, you are. Did you write a letter? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Well, you know. Is this one yours? Perhaps. Unless they forgot. They wrote it in some kind of blackout stupor, and, they, and they'll <laughs> hear it on the podcast, and they'll be like, what? I don't remember saying that. They're putting words in my mouth. <laughs> um, this first one is from Mr. McCullough, first name withheld, mm. for reasons we'll David see. David McCullough. Uh-huh. <laughs> on episode 407, Jason Takes Manhattan, I learned that a character in the movie was named Mr. McCullough. I'd like to think my father is Mr. McCullough, but at my age, I am now too. Anyway, to hear Stuart say my name over and over again in the episode was a bit disconcerting, to say the least. McCullough's I would not think, the m- I would think a, a fantasy pleasure to yeah. hear Stuart True say your fantasy, name yeah. yeah. Hearing about getting, getting drowned in a bucket of toxic waste. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, McCullough is not the most uncommon name, but still, you don't tend to hear it 30 times on your favorite podcast. My question is, has that ever happened to you in a movie? Some nugget of the movie was so close to your personal life that it took you aback and maybe took you out of the movie a bit. Maybe it was set in your hometown or your alma mater. Uh, matter. I believe Ellie has spoken. Isn't that the guy from Cars? (laughs) Yeah, Mater is the guy from Cars. Yeah. Played by Larry T. Cable Guy. Larry T.C. Guy. <laughs> you know what was happening? I was... Uh, never mind. Uh, I believe Elliot has spoken before about how the main character of E.T. sharing his first name has been a problem for him. Very much has so. Has the plot of a movie ever hit so close to home that it basically ruined the movie magic? Mr. McCullough, first name withheld. Now, I mean, yeah, obviously the word... The, the, the name thing is a little different, I guess. I, I, I too... When I was a kid, because of Karate Kid, a lot of my classmates kept saying Danielson to me okay. all the time. Okay. I'm like, Did that last for your whole movie life? I, I like, but no. Okay. No, not at all. I mean, having the last name McCoy has been more <laughs> in the way of lifelong name references. I remember that when I was when I was uh, used to host a a live talk show on a stage in a in a in a theater. Dan, I wanted Dan to do a segment on it called "The Real McCoy with Dan McCoy," and Dan was like, "Please, do I have to call it that? I don't want to call it that." He, was, he got so frustrated. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you get a life of people asking whether that's what you are, and that'll that's what it gets you. Uh, I will sorry, say, anytime an there's idea? a character name, anytime there's a character named Stuart in something, uh-huh. they are usually not the coolest dude in the movie. <laughs> well, what about well, what about Stuber? <laughs> yeah, or Stuart I haven't seen Smalley. Stuber. What's the what's the yeah Stuart Smalley? Is that the one who saves his family? Uh, he's, Stuart he's is often like. Stuart Little. Might be like Judy Greer's new husband mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. since she divorced the main character, like that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm like a busybody. Everybody loves Stuart Little. Yeah, Stuart, Stuart Little. People love him. People love him. That's not to love uh, him. He's a, he's a mouse gonna, that popped uh, out of a woman's vagina. <laughs> and drives I'm a gonna, car. And drive. I guess I saw a different movie. Uh, Stu, I mean, one thing, you could say that's about your name, but... The Todds in popular culture, yeah, yeah. not exactly Oof. cool. Yeah, it's that's, not. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, that's it's a, rough that's, out there for Todds. I've been a collecting game we could be playing, and I don't think yeah. it's a good idea for us to get involved. Yeah. We'll just get sad. 
Yeah, I, I've been collecting pop culture media references to Todd, and it's always like Todd. You know, it's like the 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 weasel Todd who screwed you out of <laughs> something, and it's it's not great. But takes, I mean, takes you out of the movie or show. I, I takes you out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, when it's something's close to home, like like I think of like your if if a movie is takes place. At a, at, in a location that you know really well, and they take certain liberties with how they mm-hmm. drive around, and they walk two blocks, and they're all of a sudden a, 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 block uh, yeah. tell me about a mile the and hall, a half away. The Hall of Dioramas in the in the Night at the Museum movie, and they go to an Egyptian wing in the Museum of Natural History. Excuse me, the Museum of Natural History has any has a mummy in it? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. Night at the Museum. I mean, for me, it's like I grew up in Chicago. There's so many things about like driving around in Chicago. I mean, Blues Brothers is the most ridiculous example, but mm-hmm. you know, just all Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There's no way he could have done all that in one day. If you're, I don't if know, you're he's, the, it, he's he's pretty good at what he does. If, but it, could yeah. uh, Richard if, Kimball get uh, framed by a one-armed man? Is that possible in Chicago? You find that man. Uh, <laughs> that was my Harrison Ford point, everybody. Um, point. But and people don't break movie, into song in Chicago nearly as much as they do in the movie Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like continuity errors. If you if you're if you're into the movie, no one cares. Nobody even notices. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I mean, you that, get a little chuckle, that, and then that's it. I think it was on your Twitter feed, Todd, that you you highlighted that moment in at the end of Jurassic Park where the raptor disappears for a moment on screen. And oh yeah. I was like I was like I had never noticed that before. I've seen that movie so many times, and it's like and it's once now it's so clear to me when I see it, but it's like, I never, it never occurred yeah. to me ever. It's literally yeah. one frame. It was a rendering error. Um, it's hard to notice, but even more importantly, back up a little bit. So they're being chased by those two Raptors. They didn't notice that T-Rex yes. in well, this, the building. This and is an issue like, I've had before. The T-Rex where it's been established at length that when he steps, it causes the ground to shake. Right. But he just, he and, snuck up on them. It, the T-Rex I mean, was I, behind them going, shh. Except he couldn't put his hand to his lips because his arms are. Yeah, well, there's yeah, a cut arms, of where yeah. he's like on his tippy toes and is making the <laughs> so, you know the Flintstones like. Yeah, yeah, and then he jumped up in the air, bongo sound, bongo sound, as his feet spin around, and then. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like whatever's in the frame. That's what the audiences care about. It's like you know when somebody pops. I mean, it's the whole basis of like Buster Keaton and like comedy. It's like what happens in the frame is the world, and it's a little cheap. To have the T-Rex come in, but you know, it's, it's yeah. Okay. A I little cheap, this- says Todd Vazira about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> wow. I've mentioned this, uh, I think <laughs> oh, no. bef- before, so I won't linger on it, but there's like work stuff too, like watching that, uh, movie late night about a late night comedy show and just being baffled at how wrong it is about everything, especially considering, yeah, you I mean, were like, saying you know, like, a, a female late night host is impossible. They're not funny. No, it's not. Right? Dan said not just the host, but also thing. the writers. That the female yeah, writers for late night show was bit where unbelievable. You paint me as some sort of horrible reactionary. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just wrong factually in a lot of the ways that those things are run. And I know that like the per- like it's it was written by Mindy Kaling, who you know is a television person, but not a late night person. But I'm like still like you should know better than some of this. I'm stuff. sure you know the person to talk to at least about, yeah, yeah. about that. Um, anyone else? Yeah, I mean, anytime anybody does something weird in a bar, obviously the most, I've said this a million times, but anytime somebody bellies up to a bar and they ask for a drink, then they're like, leave the bottle. I'm like, how the mm-hmm. fuck would they charge this person for that? <laughs> like, how do you judge how much they're drinking? That doesn't make any <laughs> so, sense. And it also seems unsafe. Yes, that's very true. 
let me get out my uh, <laughs> let me get out my scale and also yeah. an empty bottle so I can tear this <laughs> thing first before weighing the remaining liquid in here. Hold on, then, I have to call Archimedes to help me figure out how, okay, how much has been displaced see. from here. I, I'm, Archimedes or just John Taffer with his uh, inventory system <laughs> that he sells everybody. Um, let's move on. To, uh, here's one. I think this is most specifically for Stuart. Um, Dear Stuart. Yeah, makes sense. From Daniel, <laughs> last name withheld. Well, the, t- pardon me, the title of the, the subject heading is Warhammer 40,000 plus <laughs> horror monsters. Yeah, seems like it's for Stuart, uh, all right. It says, <laughs> what, ca- what, what chaos gods do you think famous horror movie monsters would follow? And here's here's where we get into trouble. Corn. Because uh, Stuart has a, <laughs> a stomach virus, so he's not sitting next to me like I thought he might be earlier and can't pronounce these words for me. But uh, is Jason I hear that a, shit. Is Jason a servant of corn? Is mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger wor- working for Slanish? Slanish, yeah. Are zombies just an expression of Nurgle's love? Mm-hmm. And are the gremlins just following Zink? Zinch, plan, yeah, Zinch, the change your ways. Yeah. If my, you favorite, don't think- uh, my favorite mispronunciation mispronun- uh, of that one uh, when I worked at the hobby shop was when kids would call it Tiznich. Yeah. Like, if, that's for awesome. those not oh, yeah, in I the know, I, I, I think I got pretty close considering it's spelled T-Z-E-E-N-T-C-H. So mm-hmm. Zinch. Um. If you don't think they would follow a chaos god, maybe they're part of a different faction of WH40K. What do you think? Keep flopping. Yeah, what yeah, famous... I mean, uh, uh, obviously, this reading this letter is mainly a Dan mispronouncing uh, very common words delivery uh-huh. system. Uh, yeah. We all know that. I mean, here. I feel like they're day. all worshiping corn, the lord of slaughter and bloodshed and skulls. Um, but I don't know, like... I feel like there's horror elements to all four of the Chaos Gods, not including, of course, the Horned Rat or uh, Malal, the Chaos God who kills the other Chaos Gods. Um, but, you know, like Nurgle, there's a jolliness to him. I think there's obviously a little bit of, uh, like, Freddy Krueger's humor. Uh, I don't know if I would say Slanesh. Well, he does play with people's uh, fantasies a little bit, so that makes sense, too. Although that's more of, like, Wishmaster territory. I, I think this is... I'm um, Now my all my hosts, uh, my co-hosts are checking their phones, so I think it's time mm-hmm. for us to move on. I was just looking up a more Warhammer stuff. <laughs> I was sure. looking at it to You're like, where's the closest Warhammer store but... so I can go and read up? Yeah. Well, let me. I'm like, let me get all this down. Let me type it into my memo notes so that I can make <laughs> yeah. sure to get all these character figures. Characters. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we've all learned something uh, yes. today about absolutely Warhammer. And, <laughs> so, so, Todd, uh, you mentioned you're not a Dungeons and Dragons guy, but you're heavy into Warhammer, right? Uh, uh pass. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> No. So all, I, all, all I know Studios. from Warhammer, it, all I know from Warhammer is what I've learned from Stuart over the years yeah. on the flop. Okay, that's, that's enough. Yep. Uh, yeah. So if Amazon Studios is listening to this podcast uh, and they're starting to staff out their teams working on their new hit Warhammer Forty Thousand TV show produced by Henry Cavill, Todd Vaziri's your guy is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's do recommendations uh, of movies that we saw recently and enjoyed. And uh, you know what? Because it's a, it's an old favorite. 
trope of the show. Let me recommend something I saw on a plane on the way out to do our Vidiots uh, live shows just this last weekend. I watched Blackberry, the movie about the Blackberry. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a, it's another one of these movies that in the broad outlines, I'm like, you know, I can usually, I can usually take or leave, leave this type of film. If they're done uh, poorly, I'm like, this could have just been like a feature magazine article about a company. Uh, yeah. But when they're done well, there's a lot of sort of- It's like a just book like, about a company. Well, <laughs> there could be a lot of juice in the, in the business machinations a of A lot these of juice things. in the Blackberry? Yep. Um, at first, when I was watching this movie, I thought that um, sort of the lead nerds uh, played by Jay Baruchel and uh, I believe the director of the movie did the other like kind of made nerd guy. I don't remember mm. his name. Apologies. No way uh, to find out. Yeah, there's no way. Couldn't have looked uh, it up beforehand. Look it up. Look it up. Your own time, listener. It's a little field trip for you. I like to leave one page <laughs> left trip. unwritten. So there's an interactive component. Mm -hmm. To every show. Um, oh, wow. No, I found them a little broad at the beginning, but as the movie went on, I think it it, it, it rounded them out nicely. And Glenn Howerton is never funnier than when he's just yelling in bafflement about these uh, nerds who cannot conduct business and getting angry and uh, throwing things around. Um, I don't know. It was, it was just, you know, a, kind of a funny informative movie that really did sort of capture a moment where it's like, oh yeah, there was a time between no phones ruling our lives and the iPhone ruling our lives that there was like this brief burst of a company that like shot through the air and then went away. Um, what to learn from it? Who knows? But it was a fun uh, movie to watch. What do you guys want to recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie I also watched on a plane. Uh, on the flight back from LA, I watched... Past Lives, uh, directed by Celine Song. I believe also written by oh, Celine Song. that's right Song. up your alley. It was, oh, was that, oh no, ha, snaked him. Uh, it just revealed Todd was also going to recommend Past Lives. So Boom. please add on to this. I'm sorry for <laughs> snaking you on this one. Uh, but I watched this movie on a plane. It was exactly at my alley. I was crying louder than the babies on the plane. Uh, there, uh, it is, you know, the story of, Two, uh, two people who are were very close to children separated over the years by a fair amount of distance. And uh, it kind of follows their friendship and uh, like the possibilities of love. And it's just like so like heartbreaking at times and beautiful. And there's this fucking monologue by uh, John Magaro who plays Greta Lee's husband that just like crushed me. Uh, it's so good. Uh, Todd, please add on to what I have to say. I, I mean, I, I was going to recommend this too. It's it's probably my favorite movie of the year so far. It's great. Uh, it, it's, it's just outrageous. Please go see it. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, I would like to say, just to disagree a little bit, what I liked about the movie is it's not necessarily so much about lost love. Because I don't think that like there's any real indication that like she ever seriously is like, I'm going to leave my husband for, it's more like, it's about reaching a point in your life when you're like, there are other paths that I could have taken, mm -hmm. like sort of mourning for, you know, the myriad of possibilities that existed in an earlier point in your life, more than like the love of a person. And also that he represents, you know, for her as, as, as an immigrant, like a cultural identity she didn't take as yeah. well. Um, 
So, I, yeah, I really liked that, too. These, these are all true. This is all correct. I think there's a lot of layers and nuance to all the performances, yeah. and the fucking score is incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it makes like it makes uh, people Skyping, uh, like a montage of people Skyping super romantic. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Elliot? Um, I haven't seen it yet, and I really want to. I'm going to recommend a movie that I liked a lot, and like Waterworld, it's contemporary reviewers, I think, were unfair about it and didn't really quite get it. And that is the movie Heartburn, starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson from 1986. It's a Mike Nichols movie. Uh, Nora Ephron wrote it based on her book that itself was based on the end of her marriage to uh, Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein's fame. You know, the the musical duo, Woodward and Bernstein. And uh, (laughs) there's, it's about uh, a woman who is a, a woman who's a uh, writer. She does cookbooks and she marries a newspaper kind of reporter columnist. And it's not a, plot-heavy movie so much as it is tracking their relationship as they meet, get married, have a child, and the stresses that put on them puts on them and how their marriage disintegrates. And I really liked it a lot. It's a movie that is somewhat uneven, and it's not like a hilarious comedy, and it's also not a tear-jerking drama, but it felt like a very kind of real stakes, kind of natural film to me. And I really like both Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson are both playing characters who kind of want to believe that they are like the people who are playing them. Like Jack Nicholson is playing a man who thinks of himself as Jack Nicholson, but is not. And there's a scene where, spoiler, where Meryl Streep discovers that he has been cheating on her and has the evidence. And his reaction is so defeated in a way I don't think I've ever seen Jack Nicholson play a Mm. part in a movie before. And I was like, oh, this is a guy who thinks he's super cool and super tough. But is not. He's not. He thinks he's Jack Nicholson, but he's not Jack Nicholson. As opposed to like him in like the last detail or something, where he's raging against the dying of the light, you know. And so I found their performances really um, kind of vulnerable and natural in a way that I'm not used to seeing from them in some ways. And apparently, when it came out, everyone was like, "What is this movie? This movie is not good enough. These actors are not good enough in it." And I'm kind of surprised by that. So that's Heartburn. The, the title makes you think it's going to be an action movie, but it's not. I I have. Never seen this one because, in part, as you mentioned, it was kind of got mixed reviews at the time, and uh, I've really wanted to see it ever since reading that uh, great uh, Mike Nichols biography. I actually like it more than some other Mike Nichols movies that I think are more well received. Mm. Um, but I've the a um, it was mentioned to me a long time ago by a friend of the show Ksenia Yarosh, and I keep meaning to get around to it and watching it not being aware of its reputation. I really enjoyed it. So now that I've told you about it, I guess erase that from your memory. Uh, mm-hmm. Get a Men in Black Neuralizer and then go watch Heartburn, I guess. And don't get it confused with Heart Beeps, the Paul Schrader film about Paul <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did you have a, a backup, Todd? Or uh, yeah, just, sure. A backup, Todd? Yeah, I'm, in case I'm, this I'm ready to work go. Out? God, yeah. I, wouldn't that be great to have a backup, Todd? Um, <laughs> no, it's like multiplicity. Gonna, it never works. You think it's going to, but it doesn't. Damn. Damn, yeah. Michael Keaton tried to tell us. Uh, uh, I'm going to do a, uh, break the rules and do a mini recommendation and then a real recommendation. My mini recommendation is sort of tied to Waterworld, where if the precursor to Waterworld, which is a uh, highly hyped movie with a big star, cost overruns, and just a ca- complete chaos, and ultimately being a movie that is tonally all over the place— um, but has a lot of value, and again, if it was a little longer, a little shorter, it could have been like really sweet. 
1993's Last Action Hero. Again, it's weird to recommend this movie because yeah. it is a mess. But, but there's so mm-hmm. much to like about it. That's, I remember Mc- I missed that when it was in the theaters, and it was everywhere. It was so advertised everywhere. Yeah. And when I finally saw it on HBO, I was like, oh, this is a fun movie. Like, there's a lot yeah, of fun, I, smart stuff in this. John McTiernan directed it, uh, director of Predator and Die Hard and Hunt for an October. He knows what he's doing, but yeah, th- this went a little goofy, and uh, there's tonal problems, but it's, yeah. a, it's one of the most self-aware movies ever. It's it lampoons Hollywood big time, and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies um, to the point. We, I mean, when the, there's a scene in the movie where in the movie movie, they go into a video store and you see a a stand-up uh, for Terminator 2, a cardboard cutout, and it's Stallone as the Terminator and Terminator 2. I, I mean, it's great. This, that's great. Come I on. I feel like yeah. it's such a, it's a movie that like, yeah, it doesn't fully work and totally it's all over. If it was more a comedy, it probably yeah. would be better than if they're trying to be both comedy and action. But like, it's the it's a special Stallone movie that like plays off of Lawrence Olivier's Hamlet. Like mm-hmm. at the end, they're up against death from the seventh seal. Like there's yep. so, there's so much like it's a movie about movies as opposed to like an an yeah. action movie, and I think a lot of people didn't recognize that at the time. Yeah, I mean, my and that's yeah. Tom Tom Noonan is one of the bad guys in it, right? That's, that's right. And yeah. is can't go uh, wrong with the Nooner. Charles Dance. Charles, Charles Dance is the bad guy. Yeah, so good. And Anthony and, Quinn's in it, right? Yeah, I think so. And death Made from the seventh seal is that. Uh, is that uh, what's his name? Is that uh, I William think Sadler it's Ian again? Ma- I think it's mm. Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah. I'm I don't think positive. it's him rep- reprising from Bill and Ted's bogus yeah. so. <laughs> journey. Uh, right. I mean, I I, I I I do like that movie, but I agree that the tone, like the tone, was my problem. Like, I, if there's like you know, the, there's dry comedy, you know, like there's too much wet comedy in that movie for me. Like when mm, like yeah. when mm. they're in like the movie and he's like pointing over and he's like, that guy's got a cartoon cat. I'm like that's not the same type of movie. No, that, but like, it's just exactly. in a movie world. It's just a movie yeah, world. I know it just gets a little scattershot. The first I think, time when the- he goes in, when they set, when they, when uh, he is just when Schwarzenegger's character in the movie is nonstop quipping, and yeah. even the kid is like a little is like what? Like it's it's a <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a movie yeah, that I have so. a lot of uh, I have a lot of uh, sentiment for. But then yeah. as soon as they. It's a it's a movie that it can't get quite can't quite get its can't quite get its uh doesn't its get its act straight. There's there's yep. a funny there's a funny moment in there where she the teacher is showing them um Lauren the uh, Hamlet and the teacher is played by Laurence Olivier's former wife Joan Plowright and right. she goes goes this stars Laurence Olivier who you may know from the from these commercials and Clash of the Titans and, and she says Clash of the Titans with such disgust just disdain <laughs> Clash yeah. of the Titans uh-huh. it's so funny and, I've, and I always thought that was such a funny thing like that's what she thinks is gross not the commercials Clash of the Titans yeah. she thinks what was beneath him Uh, My real recommendation is a movie called Reality. It's on Max right now. Uh, It stars, uh, what is her name, Sydney Sweeney? And um, it's a movie I really didn't know anything about uh, going into it, which is uh, the way I recommend it uh, to see this. Uh, It's about Reality Winner, uh, who um, it's it's played out in a really – um, interesting way. It's been it's been directed by the person who staged the play that this is based on. Mm. Which, and if you if you go even a little bit further, the play and the movie is one hundred percent based on the recordings, the FBI recordings that were taken when she was 
uh, taken into custody. So knowing that, the naturalism of the dialogue and how it all plays out, at no point there's any narration at the beginning. There's no title cards to tell you what's going on. You're just thrown into the situation. And it's extremely human uh, how it plays out. And um, I, I, I was riveted. And again, a lot to talk about at the end of this movie. Uh, reality uh, now on Max. Sounds good. Okay. Um, Todd, before we go, is there anything you would like to plug or anything you would like to direct people towards? Or just, you know, uh, a final thought. I don't know. I, <laughs> Why I, not I, open I, it up? I don't know. Movies, don't are, movies are cool. Uh, movies are terrific. I, I, I will say, and just to get real here, I'm going to turn my hat sideways and my chair sideways a little bit. You guys, I mean, I, you, you've gotten this in letters a lot, uh, and I'm going to just echo that sentiment um, that no matter what's going on in my world uh, at the time, maybe I'm up, maybe I'm down, uh, especially when I'm down, uh, I know, uh, you know, there's there's a new episode of the Flophouse, and you guys, uh, I, I we really all of I'm I'm like the all of the viewership listenership of of the Flophouse is behind me. We all want to thank you for putting on such a great show for all these years, uh, and it's an honor to be here, and we're very grateful for for what you do. Um, uh, thank you, but it. you tricked us. You turned it around on us. It was yeah, I did. <laughs> I was expecting you. you to big time us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Todd, thanks so much go, for saying Go all see that. a Star War. I don't know. Plug, plug that. How about that? <laughs> it's like if you want to support Todd, <laughs> I mean, see any movie that comes out. He's yeah. working on all of them. <laughs> Hasn't been enough press about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very obscure movie. Um, well, uh, thank you, uh, obviously, to Todd, our guest, Todd Vaziri. You can find him online, uh, including on a social network that I won't plug anymore because I don't like it, but... You can find him there. Um, look him up. And uh, thank you to our producer, Alex Smith. You might find him under Howell Dodd. You might find him under Lydia Burrell. He's a man of oh, yeah. many names. Yeah, um, a real chameleon. Thank you to our network, Maximum Fun. Over at MaximumFun.org, you can find a lot of other great podcasts. Check them out. They're a co-op now. If you like that kind of thing, it's another reason to like the company. If you like workers... Yep. Owning a piece of the company, and yeah. you should, then yeah. Um, and hey, if you have a moment, why not leave us a nice review over at iTunes? It really does help us out. Um, I mentioned not liking another social network. I will say that um, maybe if you want to see Flophouse News, we should start plugging the Instagram more. We got a great Instagram where I put up a bunch of reels of stuff. I know that Meta is also not a great company, but uh, at no. least— the environment of being on Instagram is more pleasant than being on other social networks. I hate to break it to you. Apple's got <laughs> plenty of issues too, of, considering our iTunes. There's no, there's no big tech companies that are, that are true, good. True, true, true. Uh, so support little tech companies They're all like OCP us. House at Productions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a homegrown we're a, podcast. We're a little with company. Three with, no names. With no tech, yeah. Um, anyway, speaking of no names, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. <laughs> I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Ellie Kalen. And I'm Todd Vaziri. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>
mostly associate a, a common phrase with. Um, the end of the, uh, the HBO, <laughs> HBO quote documentary series, docu-series. Yeah, it's a docu-series. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you can tell people you're into documentaries. <laughs> about I, I've seen all middle-aged real sex sexes. clubs. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.